You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. And welcome to another episode of the Film Feast Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe. Uh, and on this episode, we are talking about Spike Lee's Inside Man from 2006. Uh, to help me talk about it, I'm joined by someone I'm very happy to, uh, happy to welcome back to the show. Uh, he's been a frequent guest on this show, as well as Cobwebs and Shock and Awe. Uh, it's Preston Mitchell. Preston, how you doing? I'm good, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I am elated to be here today. Um, half half because like we've we've talked about doing this movie for a while yes a very long time i think <laughs> like going back probably i don't know over six months ago maybe yeah yeah <laughs> it, it like i kind of got the idea in my head um uh because um the movie we're going to be talking about today i i'm i've been a i've been a pretty big fan of it for quite a long time and um your your tony scott series and scottable um, was amazing, uh, loved it. Like I ended up like backtracking once I got into Film Feast and listening to all the episodes. Um, really great series you did, by the way. I have to, you know, stroke your ego a little bit there. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And uh, obviously Tony Scott made a lot of movies with Denzel and uh, including his final film. And so I was like, well, if there is a, if there's a Spike Lee movie that kind of, feels like Tony Scott adjacent at points it's inside man in my brain um yes. this is before I rewatched yes. it literally <laughs> a few uh, literally this morning I rewatched it and um uh and, and then I watched it and I was like no this is definitely a Spike Lee movie <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know when I proposed the idea to you I didn't know like how you felt about Spike I knew you were a big Denzel fan um I mean who isn't to be honest um right yeah yeah <laughs> honestly like... He's he's a he's one of like the most beloved actors. I, I feel like he'd be in most people's like top three if you ask them like favorite actors. I you know, I, I feel like he's one of those guys where I'm like, who hates Denzel? You know, it's like who doesn't like him? So yeah, definitely Maybe very uh, beloved guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but uh, <laughs> no, but uh, uh I put the I, I kind of put the idea out there. I was like, Matt, would you ever wanna, you know like uh cover insight man like how do you feel about that movie or do you like it like that kind of thing and and uh that's kind of how this all came together and and we've we we pushed this back quite a few times <laughs> like uh our lives have been kind of crazy uh in between that idea and then then this point so i'm dude i'm i'm just i'm proud to be here man and i'm happy to just chat films with you man yeah i'm always happy to talk to you i know uh i think a couple times like the jackie bryan episode came up so that and that was like an anniversary so that, that pushed this back again and i think some other stuff we still have another episode to do i don't know if you remember that i want to do at some point 
that's like a double Ooh, feature of yes, Cobra yes. and Tango and Cash, I believe. <laughs> Your Stallone double feature idea, which I was like, oh my God, Preston, yes. Like, please, like, at some point, I love both those movies a lot. And uh, I would love to talk about them at some point. So we, we don't, we, I think both of us kind of get the, uh, we have a lot of ideas, things we want to talk about. And I think we get very excited and it's like, we should do this and that. And then we both kind of are like, but you know, do this now. And like, uh, there's kind of like, uh, you know, I want to talk about this right now type thing, you know, and things get put on the back burner, but uh, we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. Um, And when you brought up Inside Man, however long ago that was, uh, it was like, it was a couple things. Cause yeah, I love Denzel. Uh, I love, I do love Spike Lee. And it's funny cause I've been saying I love Spike Lee and then we're doing this. And I realized I really haven't seen that many Spike Lee movies. I was basing that, that kind of <laughs> off of, kind of a handful of movies but i those movies are so good that i'm just like oh yeah and i love spike lee as a personality i know he rubs people the wrong way sometimes but he's i i really like listening to him talk about anything um movies uh whatever issue he's talking about sports even he's like you know um yeah. anything and he's so entertaining and uh and i love inside man this i was like man i watched this movie a lot back in the day because like I didn't see it in theaters, I don't think, but whenever it got onto whatever cable channel was on, maybe HBO or something, um, it's like I watched it a lot. It was one of those movies, I'm like, oh shit, Inside Man's on. You know, I catch like either like 20 minutes of it or I catch the whole thing, but I'm like, I it just played a lot for a long time. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this and about in, we're doing this movie and he was like, oh shit, I love Inside Man. <laughs> it was like we both, had, <laughs> we, we both, I feel like we were talking about, we watched all the time on cable back in the day, like when it was kind of first hitting those movie channels and it's just very entertaining very watchable movie and after inside man is really fun to watch too after watching like a bunch of spike uh, spike lee movies for a week because i yeah. do think you're you see more of him in it than if you just kind of watch it on its own and if you watch the, if you watch a week of spike lee movies and you watch inside man, you're like okay i see a lot of spike lee in this movie um and it's very entertaining and we'll talk all about it but i you know as we usually on the show i just wanted to do the usual you know what have you watched lately i i know you told me you'll i think you only had like one thing you want to bring up and i'm very curious what it what it's going to be what this one movie is sure sure um yeah man this movie um if if um if there are any fans of cobwebs listening uh the um i was on uh, I, I guessed it on daniel's christmas episode uh shout out to daniel epler amazing guy i uh, love talking classic films with him um, we spoke about Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows. And I went on a big Douglas Sirk binge last year where I watched seven of his movies, like back to back to back. Well, not, I'm not gonna say back to back to back. That's that's a lie. Um, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't as consecutive as that, but it was it was definitely kind of throughout um, the year. Um, there, were, there were a couple I'd already seen, and then I was kind of gradually working my way through his um, his run of, of melodramas. And if people don't know, I guess I should explain. Uh, Douglas Sirk, um, he was a German filmmaker um, who basically, um, in order to basically save his family um, after the, I think it was the, the, the Nazi occupancy um, uh, during World War II, uh, he, he basically moved to the States uh, by the early 40s. And then he began uh, he made a couple of film noirs kind of as like a uh, a director by hire. And then he took his very distinct sense of humor and made these um, these melodramas for old Hollywood. And uh, they're kind of called the women's pictures, sometimes disparagingly. 
uh, because there was a big market back in the time where um, during the film noir boom, during kind of the, the second phase, as I like to call it, of the Universal Monsters before you get into Black Lagoon in the 50s, um, he, he made these, these dramas, these romantic dramas for women um, I'm not gonna say for women because I'm a big fan. What, what am I saying? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that but that was that was kind of the main audience. And so um, there was one that I hadn't seen that I had been kind of intrigued by for a while. It's a movie called There's Always Tomorrow. Uh, it reunites Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, both of whom are in Double Indemnity. Uh, right now, Criterion Channel is streaming it at the moment, which is how I watched it. Um, as part, of, as part of their Joan Bennett series. Joan Bennett, uh, kind of a, an, an unsung actress of the, of the early days. I don't know as much about her, but she's the third build on the poster. And it's in black and white. And typically, Cirque's movies, his best known stuff is in Technicolor, although he did have some black and white bangers um, that are really good as well. But this one shot up to my top three. And I had very little expectations. Basically, it stars Fred McMurray as a as a toy maker, um, who he's like the epitome of like the the boring aw shucks guy, the complete opposite of how he is in Indemnity or The Apartment, and <laughs> and uh, and so he he's raising the, like this typical 1950s nuclear family. Joan Bennett's his wife. Uh, they both uh, are parents of three kids. All three kids are such spoiled brats and they're all different ages. In fact, there's like a whole subplot where uh, his oldest son is trying to investigate him, uh, the dad I mean, and, he, and his girlfriend is just like, why are you trying to stick your nose in your father's business? He's a good guy. And he's like, no, he's not. And that's a whole thing. Um, and so he's kind of, he feels kind of bored in his life. And even though he has a stable career, like, he doesn't have the passion in his marriage that he feels like they want to, like they don't travel anymore. Uh, Joan Bennett very much does things for the kids uh, through Fred McMurray's perspective. And then you enter Barbara Stanwyck into the picture who, is go who goes on a work trip uh, to fly to where uh, McMurray is. They meet up, uh, they, they, they literally unexpectedly meet. She's like, oh my goodness. He's like, oh my goodness. Like I remember you from <laughs> when we used to fornicate together back when we were younger. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's very much a movie about infidelity. But what I think is so special and what blew me away about this movie is that not only does Douglas Sirk give Fred McMurray the, the amount of sympathy that he usually gives his female heroes, because typically in a Sirk movie, the, the, the male character is, is underdeveloped because these movies, they were marketed and kind of pre-packaged um, in the scripting process for a female audience. This time, this is a women's picture in reverse where you're looking at it from his perspective. And the way he's using McMurray's father knows best type of image, he's kind of, he, he's kind of commenting on how that is a falsity because, because of the fact that a lot of the kind of emotional cheating is performed by Fred Murray. Barbara Stanwyck is very swept up by uh, being with her old flame again. And the movie examines what it means to, like, why do people cheat? Why do people have, but not only that, but also how, why do people have these fleeting feelings as they get older? And the movie, it's 81 minutes. So already your ears are perking up, Matt. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay, it's short. Good. That's a plus. There we go. <laughs> and it, it is one of the most beautifully shot, beautifully thematic 
black and white experiences I've had in a film for quite a few years, not just this year, but quite a few years. And, um, and uh, whenever I, I do my discoveries at the end of this year, I, I predict that this one's gonna be pretty high up. Um, so far it's in my top two of, 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 of just the year and it's only January, so. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, early, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I, I cut you off. <laughs> I was just gonna say like, I don't think that this is the introductory Cirque but I do think that if you've seen a couple of his movies I, and, and then you watch with this one, then you'll be like, okay, I get this guy now uh, because he's more than just making movies that uh, are glorified soap operas. So that's, okay. there's always tomorrow from 1956. There's always tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I, this is not going to shock you at all. I've never seen this movie. I've never seen a Douglas Sirk movie at all, which probably shocks you a little less. I don't know, but I, I, I know you guys have been talking about him, you and Daniel, and I enjoyed that podcast, even though I'd never seen that movie at all. Uh, so that's a good sign. I was like, I already know what they're talking about, but this is a fun podcast. <laughs> like, um, would you? What's this? What do you think is a Douglas Sirk starting point for someone who's ever seen one of his movies? Is it all with all that heaven allows, or somewhere else? I would say either that one or Written on the Wind. Those are the not only are those my my two favorites, but like, I think those are the ones that, um, especially written on the wind, I think for you, Matt, <laughs> I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to, <laughs> for you, uh, for you, Matt, like that movie is like, uh, like the TV show Dallas, like that are that, uh, I don't know if your parents ever watched that show. My, oh my, my parents definitely yeah, did. My mom loved Dallas. She talks about it all the time still. <laughs> She's like, I had to be home at whatever day and time to watch Dallas every week, you know, back when it was on. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, she loves that show. <laughs> it's like proto Dallas and uh, was like a direct inspiration for a show of that mantle uh, because it's literally about um, a crazy repugnant oil family and they're, everybody's rich. Um, and the, the visual nature of it. And that's why I think those two are are great for, especially for people who are, who typically don't gravitate to, to melodramas. The visual aesthetic is very much in line with what we like in genre films from a visual statement. Like, cause Cirque is about style. Like there's very little substance to his movies unless you break it down from a, societal counterpoint like there, there's always tomorrow I would is probably one of the more substantive um and then imitation of life is all about race so obviously there's that but um written on the wind is literally rock hudson and lauren bacall um falling in love with each other while robert stack and dorothy malone are doing crazy nicholas cage theatrics through performances and um, <laughs> okay well that sounds yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there's even a scene where like Dorothy Malone is like filleting, um, I, I shit you not, <laughs> filleting like a, 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 like a model uh, Eiffel Tower in front of an image of, um, I think her, her oil baron dad. Like it is, it's just a wild two hours. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just the crazy stuff he got away, Cert got away with back then was pretty phenomenal. Um, and there's always tomorrow is a similar commentary on sex, but I think if you're gonna start with some definitely one of those two, and if if you really take to either of those films, I think, um, yeah, definitely check. But definitely check that out. So uh, yeah, I mean, if you're already into classic film, I mean, not saying you're not, but if you're already if you already like watched it like nonstop, then I would just say jump into there's always. But yeah, I mean, really, I recommend um, these three Cirque movies as as good starters. I, I think they really speak to the pulp 
nature of what we typically like in our, our, our most rewatched films. And they also speak to the human condition just being dramatic and, and but they're histrionic in a way that, that really tickles my, my sick side. So especially written on the wind, that movie is a uh, movie's awesome, but yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I think I'm going to make a pledge to watch at least one Douglas Sirk movie this year. I'm going to try. Cause I don't honestly, I'll be honest with you on paper, the stuff in the talent gets quite my style because it kind of sounds very, not all of it, I'm sure, but some of the stuff comes down like soap opera drama <laughs> stuff, which is not my thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's but uh, but I will, I will, I think I'm gonna give at least one a shot, see how it goes, and then and then go from there. But I will, I will try, I will try, um, because I trust you and uh, and both Daniel, your opinions on movies, so I'll, I'll give it a shot, even though I think it may not be my thing, but I'm gonna try. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, there, there was, I mean, I, I just. I described this one because I do love it so much and then all and or there's always tomorrow because I do love this one so much and then also um it, it just has a lot more honesty than I think even a lot of modern films do so um if if you don't take to the soap opera side of Cirque I would even say give this a shot uh just because it is so short um I'm becoming a bigger Fred McMurray fan this year uh I, the apartment I saw I rewatched that um in a theater um on New Year's Day um this year and, oh wow uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and it was it was a it was is beautiful to see on a big screen uh the 4k remaster was was excellent um and i was like you know i really need to check out that barbara stanwick movie even if it's not great even if it's forgettable because like no one ever talks about this movie which is kind of why i watched it um no but it, it just completely kicked me on the side and then our buddy daniel recommended Quantes, which is a western it's kind of like that movie's kind of like take the siege aspect of Rio Bravo and just make that a film noir send the old west and it's it's basically they're doing imagine the hateful eight if it was paced like Reservoir Dogs that's kind of what Quantes is that movie is uh that movie blew me away as well so um but but yeah this is this is my pick there's always tomorrow but um okay <laughs> no, I was just like I was like okay I I'm, I'm going to I'm going to try uh and I was going to mention Quantes because Daniel kind of made that sound pretty interesting because is that the one where the guys are escaping a, a robbery and their horses get tired so they have to stop? Is no, that... that's literally what the movie's about. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, which is an interesting premise because I'm like, yeah, the horses get tired. It's like you watch these guys, you know, ride in westerns forever and ever on these horses really hard. It's like, okay, but what happens when the horses get tired? We have to stop in a town and then kind of hold out. Um, and I've been watching more westerns the past couple years. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that sounds pretty interesting. So, I have to give that one a shot too. So um, I did, I watched a lot of classic movies last year and it paid off. Like I, I saw The Apartment for the first time last year. Loved The I Apartment. I heard, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was one of my favorite discoveries of 2022. It was, an, I, that movie totally lived any, all the hype. For years, everyone's like, oh, The Apartment's so great. Um, and it actually, it, I agreed. I was like, yes, everyone was right. Uh, it's a <laughs> wonderful movie. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need to, you know, keep that going in 2023. So um but if that's all you had to talk about, the three I have talked about, uh, none of them are classic movies at all. But <laughs> sure, sure. But, but I enjoyed everything I've watched recently. Really, I, I really started off the year hot. I feel like I don't even know what the worst thing I've watched is. Nothing's been like that terrible. Everything's been like I almost feel silly. Do you, do you go on Letterbox and rate stuff, and you're like, God, I'm giving everything like three and a half, four stars, and I almost look like I have no people are gonna look at me and think this guy have any kind of like critical taste he's just giving everything three and a half and four stars. 
<laughs> like every, there's no it, everything's great um that's just how it's been it's been it's been i've been picking good stuff um no i feel you dude i i um because lately i've been on a bit of a run myself w- with the exception of this past week because I, I we we talked about how we've both been watching more spike lee movies i mean really i've been cramming them these past several days uh, yeah more yeah, so same but <laughs> prior to that um i have been watching um um just really really great stuff um catch up on stuff from last year and then also just like um it's it just it's cool to come into the new year just with a having positive reactions to movies um especially since this is the beginning of last year's oscar season if i'm making sense like um yeah, this time of year sense. i feel yeah. like <laughs> yeah this time of year i feel like is like people are always so down from the stuff that they didn't connect with that's getting that's still getting uh, residual buzz or they're really fighting for their movie to to win whatever and it's nice to look at your letterbox and be like damn like i really i've really been connecting with a lot of stuff i've been watching lately granted i feel like you and i are pretty similar in that we tend to choose stuff that appeals to us well yeah so, that's, what uh... I, that's true yeah um, i'm like i think i'll like this like i don't go to my way to uh watch things i think i'll hate so you know i'm kind of picking at my taste so um too many four-star movies, Matt. You got to watch some shit now. I, know. I, I do sometimes feel like I got to watch a real shitty movie to balance, rebalance the letterbox. Because <laughs> I'm just like, it's too much. I'm, I'm doing too many three and a half, four stars out. I got to watch something garbage. Um, <laughs> probably end up liking it. Um, look at my letter. Look at my IMDb. Like, what's the lowest rated movie on my watch list? <laughs> Let's go watch that. Um, but, I, you know, I, we'll see. We'll, I hope the streak continues. But, um some stuff I'd seen lately. Uh, the first thing I watched, which just came out on Peacock of all places this past weekend, um, is a movie called Sick, which is a slasher home invasion movie directed by John Hyams, a fantastic director, um, did Universal Soldier Regeneration and Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning and a movie called Alone. Um, it's extremely, I, I don't know if he's even ever directed a theatrical movie it's like all the stuff's like dtv or streaming but he's such a talented director it's like i wish somebody would give him a 20 30 million dollar budget at least and let him you know do something crazy but um but <laughs> he's he's fantastic uh, and sick is like a uh small little movie that's also written by kevin williamson uh the writer of scream um, oh wow yeah and so when the, when i heard those two names had paired up for a movie uh john himes and kevin williamson i was like i need to see that um i think it played some festivals last year and i was like i can't and so i've been waiting a long time to see this and then it just kind of drops out of nowhere on peacock um and it's really good i really liked it i for what it was trying to do i thought it was a damn near perfect version of what it's trying to accomplish like it is a very tight little slasher um probably a low budget because that's what John Hyams tends to work with. And it doesn't look, it's mostly in one <laughs> location. Um, but it, it, it's, it's like an hour and 15 minutes long before the credits even hit. Like it, it it's oh, like, wow. it, it already looks short on paper. It's like an hour 20 something, but then like the credits hit, I'm like, it's barely been an hour and 15 minutes, uh, which is always a plus for me. So, I, but it's, <laughs> it's so tightly constructed and well-directed by John Hyams. Like, um, and basically it's a very simple premise. It's I was a little worried this because it's a very COVID centric movie, which I haven't watched a lot of. Obviously, we're still in it, really, you know, like, but this yeah. is like the early, early days of COVID. This is like April 2020, this takes place. And it's like the first scene is a guy in a grocery store trying to find toilet paper and people yelling at each other for 
wearing masks or not wearing masks. And it's like, it's like, oh God, I'm having like <laughs> Vietnam flashbacks to early 2020. I don't, you know, I was like, I'm not prepared for this, but um, it's, yeah, there's a really good cold open, which is kind of like a screen calling card. Um, and then basically it's in the, the, the movie is about two girls that uh, college age girls that go off to like one of the girls parents, like kind of isolated lake house uh, to kind of mm-hmm. quarantine there school is shut down and they're like well, let's go to this lake house will be no one no one's around and then some bad people show up and uh you know shit goes bad pretty quickly i, th- I don't know if i say much more because it's a very straightforward like i said home invasion slasher movie that does i say straightforward but then it throws in these little like twists and curveballs at you um that keep you on mm. your toes and interesting i i did not mind how they kind of worked COVID into it. I actually thought it was pretty well done. Um, I kind of felt like I wasn't really even ready for like a COVID centric story. I was like, I don't want to, it's like, I don't want to go relive that. It was, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it's, I thought it was really great. I really, really liked it. Um, it's uh, a highlight so far. Um, so yeah, I know you're not the biggest horror movie guy, Preston, but I, <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to put you on the spot. I just, it's not your thing, but I for some reason thought maybe Preston could even get into this. I don't know. It just feels like it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting little movie and very well made, I thought. So well, um, no, I'm glad you I'm glad you like dug out my corpse there uh to leave it to dry. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Um speaking of horrors, no, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> no, um this one actually does sound appealing to me for uh, several reasons that I didn't know until you started talking. One, Kevin Williamson uh being a writer, of course, like I um, as much as I say often, like, eh, horror is not for me, like, it doesn't click with me. Um, I did grow up, like, on the, in the Scream era, like, the Scream movies and a lot of the mostly bad offshoots, like, that was, that was the horror that I was, like, watching for a long time uh, because of my age. So, um, yeah, just being a child of the 90s, like, um, I'm, my, I'm always rooting for him specifically, and mm-hmm. he does have a distinct writing style, and the fact that this movie's twisty while also being so tight, because uh, that was a big problem I had with um, a couple of horror movies I saw last year that like, I'm not gonna name names, but like they were, they were, <laughs> I've gone back and forth with Lindsay Wilkins about one of them, play, playfully so, but um, but um, uh, shout out to Lindsay if she's listening. But, um, but yeah, no, because um, I feel like slashers should be tight, you know, and, right. and I'm not saying- they should be like sprawling two and a half hour epics you know <laughs> like like yeah. like terrifier 2 uh which i actually which i shockingly liked but it's two and a half hours of an insanely violent slasher movie and i couldn't believe it like worked as well as it did but on paper i'm like if i see a two hour plus slasher movie i'm like what are you what are you doing like what's what going on here <laughs> so yeah i understand <laughs> so. yeah that's that's a big hang up for me with the genre um so it sounds like the the twist and turns that that sounds like classic williamson um and i actually um, the the COVID angle, I think, would actually work better for me than a lot of slashers because since we are still in it, I personally don't mind uh, social commentary in films. I mean, the, the the director we're literally about to talk about is Mr. Commentary. So oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, true. I'd be hypocritical if if I just lambasted a, a movie for 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 its topicality. Um, and then I've never seen a John Hyams movie. That's my third point. Like I I. I, I know, I believe it's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. That's like, it sounds like that's his most lauded one. And I do oh, yeah, enjoy yeah. Scott Atkins' <laughs> films. 
So um, I need to I need to sit down and and, and watch that. Um, let me let me ask you this uh, because I I'm very um, I'm very ill informed about JCVD. Um, do I have to watch the first one before I see Day of Reckoning, or or is it like kind of like a one off? Like how how do you feel about the the, the, the that franchise? It's, well, it's a weird franchise. It's very all over the place. <laughs> I feel like it's not consistent in the timelines um, and how things go. I feel like I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've watched them like near each other. There's another. So there's there's the first Universal Soldier. Then there's one called The Return. Came out like in 2000 or 99. Hmm. I think is kind of bad. <laughs> sorry action twitter i i like i like when i was younger <laughs> michael chai white's in it which is cool and it's like a decent fight between him and van damme but it like love him love him he's yeah he's great i always wished he was like a mega star like a huge star and i was like why did that happen but but the the, the that movie i think kind of blows off a lot of like the stuff from the first universal if i remember right um uh, and it's like well that doesn't really make sense and then i think then there's another one then there's like some TV ones that I think are not canon at all. Um, but then there's like a jump to Universal Soldier Regeneration, which is also John Hyams, but came out before Day of Reckoning. And I feel oh, like wow. that one's only a couple years before Day of Reckoning. And I feel like that stuff doesn't even quite tie into the next movie. <laughs> like if I'm 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 totally blanking right now. And I know like I'm like Mike Scott's probably like, damn it, Matt. Like I, it's like he knows, but no, but I can't I, I feel like Mike is like fuming right now. He's just like, guys, <laughs> what? I <laughs> I feel like if you watch the very first Universal Soldier and then mm-hmm. you watch Day of Reckoning, I think you're okay. I think, I think that's really all you need. Although Regeneration is also a very cool, very good action movie, but it's more straightforward than Day of Reckoning. Day of Reckoning gets so weird and it has Scott Atkins, which is always a bonus. Um, right, right. It's a very cool, I, I Day of Reckoning is pretty, pretty amazing. Cause I'm like, this is way beyond what you'd expect from like, the fourth universal soldier movie that was like straight to video (laughs) you know it's like they went so beyond like it's so crazy um but it's really really good i i I think we should probably ask mike (laughs) it's like you gotta watch all the universal soldiers you just can't jump from the first one a day of reckoning (laughs) but um, regeneration sounds cool like like uh i definitely like uh, that's one of those hellraiser situations where like there's so i felt like there were so many of them that i was like okay where do i begin and i've seen the first two hellraisers now but um yeah for for because i was like i want to watch day of reckoning but i don't want to just watch that one and not watch the original like i have a weird thing about that even if it's a franchise that like i know is mostly bad i at least want to catch where it began <laughs> so i appreciate where because because that can sometimes affect your experience with a movie you know so, right yeah i definitely think you could watch day of reckoning on your own as long as you have as long as you even just know the premise but i think i think if you like what you're saying, I, I think you watch the first one, which I like, which mm-hmm. I like, but I, I like um, Day of Reckoning way more, actually, than the first movie. But oh. it gives you all the setup and the backstory. And then, yeah, then you could probably jump into it. But I recommend the first one, Regeneration, Day of Reckoning, those three. I think you'll have a pretty good time. So, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been a while since I've... We were talking off mic, but it's been a while since I've like had like an action movie itch. So um, just straight action that is. So which Universal Soldier, I know that's I know for a fact that that's sci-fi action, but I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> so I make it more interesting yeah. for you if it has the extra kind of level in there of being like a sci-fi action movie. You know, I don't know, but um, 
but yeah, it's, I, you know, it's, it's a good time. The, all the, most of them. So, um, uh, so yeah, sick is very good. If you have Peacock, it's on Peacock. I don't know if you can just like rent it anywhere else. Um, I believe it's but, only on Peacock for now. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but it's very good. I'll check uh, it out, man. I'll check it out like that. Like, and I'm not like, and again, I know like some stuff it's like, yeah, I'll check it out. But like, no, like that, that actually sounds like an interesting slasher. So yeah. yeah. And it's very short. So only an hour and 15 minutes, your time that you're, that you're, that you're done. So <laughs> um, I didn't tell you to go watch like a three and a half hour movie. And then you're like, I hated that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so sick is really good. I watch another um, movie that just came out. It's the, I feel like the talk of the town of everybody uh, that is a horror sci-fi comedy <laughs> like i don't know how to uh megan the movie the killer doll megan um that just came out i think like last weekend it was like a huge hit for how much it cost um mm-hmm. megan is exactly what i expected to be it is it is it, from the from the commercials the trailers um it is basically exactly what i expected and that was fine it's like i ordered pizza and i got pizza perfect you know what i mean it's like this this is what i wanted and uh it's a very entertaining movie it's very entertaining i will say I thought that the two main actresses who were Allison Williams and Violet McGraw, because Violet McGraw was so talented. She's only like friggin' 10 or 11 years old. And she was like, she was in Haunting of Hill House. Um, oh, okay. She okay. plays a young girl who's on like going on a trip with her parents and her parents both get killed in this car accident. She survives. So she has to go live with her aunt played by Allison Williams, um, who's a robotics engineer, at this toy company. And has been working on this like prototype doll, um, Megan, and it's a very lifelike doll, and like you know, kind of gives it to her niece to kind of help her through this tough time. And um, and of course, because it's a horror movie, things don't go right, and Megan has a lot of issues. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Megan just starts murdering people. Like, don't cross Megan's family; she's gonna mess you up. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's very entertaining. Like, it's it's, I mean, it's pretty over the top. But I thought that. Allison Williams and Violet McGraw are like kind of trying to play it straight, which actually I think kind of works because like mm, okay. the, uh, the rest of the movie is so over the top. They're, they're like kind of taking it seriously. Like there's, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a part where uh, Violet McGraw is talking to Megan. She's upset about her parents, you know, dying. This is like very recent. And I got a little misty. <laughs> I got a little sad because it was like <laughs> her performance is so good. And she just is like, saying like she misses her parents and not, you know it's like oh it's, this is so sad like so that stuff's played like straight enough that i think it works and like the other stuff's so over the top like megan dancing like that was like the thing oh, that, that went sounds viral. like ma- like malignant like the because it's from the same writer as malignant right yes yeah, yeah i mean james wan worked on it um yeah different, yeah yeah but it's 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 not as good as malignant i'm not that blown away by megan but mm-hmm. it's a good it's a good time it's a good time <laughs> so um Kind of, again, kind of, kind of went just like you'd expect it to go, honestly. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's entertaining. So it's, you got what you wanted. <laughs> so, um, had a good time with Megan. Uh, that was fun. Um, okay, the last. Well, thing also I'll talk too. About. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. 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 Um, I was curious about that that one uh, specifically. It's funny. Like, you're you're already like fighting through my horror movie bias just like with these two <laughs> these two recommendations. But um, I was curious about Megan just because I really liked the director's last movie um because he hadn't directed a feature-length film i think since 2014 that's housebound i don't know if you've heard oh, of that. right yeah 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 i, I loved housebound I saw, that was one of my favorite first time watches uh, last october and uh i mean 
again, uh, me not being as well versed on it as, um, you know, the genius I'm talking to here, um, <laughs> as, as horror, like uh, that movie kind of blew me away because I wasn't, I was expecting like a, a, a ghost movie, but then I had a friend who kept telling me, Preston, just watch it. It's going to be your thing. And it ended up being like this twisty mystery um, that was way more substantive that, um, than what I, what I was expecting. Not to say that there's not, there's not supernatural horror that I've liked, um, but that one really, really got to me. So I was, I'm happy to see, um, uh, I forget the director's name. Um, I'm happy to see him get like a big release like this. Maybe it's micro budget for, or mid budget, whatever it's called, but um, I'm glad to hear people are, are liking it. For, for him, like, I'm glad that he has a success and uh, you, you've sold me on it a little bit. Not gonna, not gonna front, so. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know, yeah, with horror like we were talking about this i saw it with my sister and like we both had a good time but it's it's a horror movie that i don't i don't find scary at all like megan like i don't know if that's i don't know if that has anything to do with what you feel about horror movies but it's like if you're looking for scary i don't think it's scary at all because it's so no, it's kind of no. so ridiculous and like uh you know it's just it, it, i don't know it's just not scary in that way to me but it's uh it's highly entertaining so um mm -hmm. uh yeah well i'm glad i helped sell you on those two things i i would probably go sick like sick as the better movie over Megan, but if you see Megan on streaming in a few months, <laughs> maybe check it out. Um, okay, the last thing is something I did bring up, like on Twitter and Letterbox, because I was losing my mind over it. This is the <laughs> this is the unofficial like Matt Bledsoe pick of the month for movies. <laughs> uh, if that can be a thing on the podcast, I also anointed it to the um, the now official unofficial film feast movie hall of fame, uh, which I made up <laughs> for this movie. Uh, Please, no one take that seriously. It's a, it's a good joke. But I, I was like watching this movie, which I'll say in a second. I was watching this movie and thinking, Jesus Christ, if there was a Film Feast Hall of Fame, this movie would be in it. And I was like, <laughs> I should just whip that up and make it up. And uh, I put stuff in there like Man on Fire and uh, Miami Vice, Miami Vice, uh, Last Action Hero, of course, Showdown Little Tokyo. Like there's just like a certain kind of movie that just is my thing, which kind of is in turn the podcast thing. Um, watched a movie from 1982 called Livewire, starring Pierce Brosnan. Um, I've heard of this. Okay, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> like, I was like, yes, movie, this is made for me. I was so excited. Um, it's not even a great movie. Don't, but it's, it's so to my, it's so to my tastes that I just was like, oh my God, yes. Like, it's, an early 90s action movie that like looks and has that feel of like this was made in the early 90s it stars pierce brosnan i'm a big fan of um oh yeah it's about a bomb disposal expert played by brosnan who um he's brought into there's like terrorists who are like blowing people up blowing up things and they can never find uh any evidence of a device or any evidence of um you know how they do this explosion and we, we find out that these terrorists have this um some kind of thing they developed that's like a liquid explosive that they can put in people's drinks or whatever and the person <laughs> drinks it and they're like a live walking human bomb and they can they just blow up like after i don't know a minute or something i can't remember what the timeline is but so there's this whole thing with pierce it's such an insane premise of and pierce frost trying to figure out like what's going on and they're, they're killing like u.s senators specifically because 
uh, there's like some deal that went bad and I, the whole, it, it doesn't matter. Like it's just one of those things where it's like, <laughs> it's, I can't even tell you who the bad guys were. If I picked them out of a lineup, like the bad guys are like nameless, like European type terrorist, I believe. And it's like, um, the best kinds, the best kinds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and it's just like, my God, this movie. So like Pierce Brosnan, like there's like a subplot with, with his wife having an affair with this, uh, Senator played by Ron Silver who's like an actor who I always see like seeing pop up and like everybody in Washington DC knows that Pierce Brosnan's wife is having an affair and they give him shit about it constantly. I'm like, how does everyone know that this bomb expert, like his wife is sleeping with the Senator. <laughs> like at one point, at one point, Oh my God, I laughed so hard. Pierce Brosnan comes into a building and there's like two security guards and he, he like, you know, they say like, oh, come on in, sir, check his name off. And then one security guard says to another, it's like, oh, that's the guy uh, that uh, his wife is uh, fucking uh, Senator Traveris or whatever. And Pierce Brosnan <laughs> comes out of the elevator he got into and goes, hey, buddy, they're not fucking. They were kissing. OK, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does he does he have the accent or is he putting some? He's, putting... No, he's just I think he's still doing his own accent. I don't want to give him that voice. That's not how he sounds. But he was like, he's, he's still he sounds like Pierce Brosnan, but he's like comes out i lost it i was like this is an amazing beat dad like it's full of those little weird beats there's like there's um god there's a freaking bomb disposal robot named madonna like give me a goofy <laughs> a goofy little robot any day i'm happy um oh my god pierce Brosnan and ron silver have to team up at one point even though obviously there's tension there about uh the, you know they're both <laughs> sleeping with the same person basically um they have to like because they have to protect ron silver from these terrorists um Pierce Brosnan's like MacGyvering all these like explosive things in a house. Um, it's bananas. I loved it. I can't, I like, I wish it's like, it's under 90 minutes. I mean, you know, it's like, how could it get any better? It's like, I just, it's got these insane like sequences when like someone has ingested this fluid and they're going to blow up. And like, I, it's like so over the top. Like, I mean, and they're like using, this is 92. So they're using like, they're really setting stunt people on fire and they're doing real explosions and it's like yeah. so crazy. Um, I loved it. I had so much fun with it. Um, I bought the DVD as I was watching the movie. Like I was like, oh, it doesn't wow. have a Blu-ray. It's like, I got to buy this DVD on eBay. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, had the best time watching Livewire. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's so much fun. So yeah, that's the, new newest entry to the film feast hall of fame <laughs> my pick of the month <laughs> oh so yeah that sounds amazing like uh i mean first off like the the film feast hall of fame all four of those movies are are masterpieces <laughs> so <laughs> when you when you we've said it was in the hall of fame i was like ooh, okay and it's a nice action movie which obviously i'm a fan of pierce brosnan i mean if you know me i'm a i'm a big big bond guy so a guy i love the bras so um yeah dude no how'd you watch this like, i'm curious i i just rented it on like amazon prime i paid the two or three bucks or whatever because people i'd heard awesome. people talk about it on twitter and i saw like a clip from it that really sealed the deal there's like a scene in a courtroom that's real crazy and i was like i need to watch that movie immediately <laughs> and like went and found it and paid for it but it doesn't have a blu-ray sadly but it has a dvd that's i think available but it's um yeah, you can just rent it on Prime or wherever you, you know, rent movies. So I'm gonna watch that very, very soon, dude. Like <laughs> pr probably in the next few days or so, because that sounds 
like like I said, everything I, I ran through, like the 90s action, Brosnan, like, et cetera, like all that, that crazy stuff that that sounds like my kind of movie. So yeah, dude, I'm glad you loved it, man. It, it definitely, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely what I, what I anticipate from, uh, from uh, just being a listener of, uh, of your podcast. But uh, yeah, it's all, it always feels good to find like a gem like that, that lives up to the hype and then more, you know? It's yeah, I feel like no one ever talks about it outside of like some people on action Twitter. Like, I, and it's weird because it's Pierce Brosnan, it's pre Bond Pierce Brosnan. It's like a weird time frame, I guess, like a few years before Goldeneye. But um, it's just mm-hmm. so I, I can't promise anyone's gonna love it like I did. It was just so to my taste. I was like, I, I feel like I was just like, what's the like, I was just hooting and hollering the whole movie. I feel like I was by myself, like cackling, having the greatest time. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, ah, look at that guy. Like, he's like, it's just like, this. <laughs> blew him up. Um, the, <laughs> blow people up in this movie so willy-nilly it's bananas anyway um i could talk about live wire for hours but we got to talk about inside man and i i i know we both watched a bunch of spike lee movies which i definitely want to talk about i feel like we can't start with those because then we'll never get an inside man if i start talking about all the other spike lee movies i watched in the past couple of weeks um we won't get there but um but yeah, Inside Man is, again, listen, could be in the Film Feast Hall of Fame. It's very much to my taste. It's so funny <laughs> you brought up Tony Scott because I, I was a dummy and didn't even think about that. But then I was le- reading a Letterboxd review and somebody said, like, this feels like it could have been a Tony Scott movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, duh, it does feel like it could have been a Tony Scott movie. Like, um, I don't know if you read it. It was almost a Ron Howard movie. No, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, because he produced it with... Um, Brian Grazer. Yes, that was like his, um, his they both guy. Imagine, I think. Imagine, yes, yes. And they were going to make it, and Ron Howard was going to direct it, and something else happened, and he went and did that. And uh, no offense to Ron Howard. I like Ron. I, he's fine. He gets a lot of shit for being like, <laughs> you know, I, I think he, but he's like a real, like, like journeyman type director, but he works on like big prestige type projects. And like, I couldn't, it's like he's a guy that I cannot define his style at all. Like, I could not tell right. you what makes a Ron Howard movie, but, like, he's had a very varied, very varied, a very, <laughs> he's had a career that's, like, all over the place, different genres, like, he's had a lot of success. Um, oh, yeah. But it's, like, the polar opposite of Spike Lee, because I can always tell it's a Spike Lee movie. So <laughs> I'm very, very happy that Spike Lee got to do this, because um, he injects a lot of himself in Inside Man, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, like I said earlier, watching a week of Spike Lee movies, then watching Inside Man was pretty rewarding because I was like, oh, I see the Spike Lee all over this movie. And uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, you you pitched it however many months ago, so I don't want to just jump in here. But your I guess your general thoughts on Inside Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is a movie that um, I've been a fan of pretty much since the first time I saw it. Um, it's interesting uh, because it came out in. 2006, which I feel like is kind of quietly a secret renaissance year for action, uh, because the same, wow. yeah, the same year you get Deja Vu, uh, which Denzel this time with Tony Scott, and then um, you get Miami Vice that year, um, mm-hmm. which of course is kind <laughs> of, people walked in thinking that was going to be the TV show, and they got this art house romance noir film uh, that absolutely <laughs> rips. Um, and then you get Casino Royale at the near the end of the year, um, uh, as well as little gems in there like Running Scared, uh, The Protector with Tony Jaw, stuff like that. Uh, that might have been 2005. Either way, 
Um, just a, just I think a, it actually is 06, I think, but yeah. Sorry. Oh, it is? Okay. okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm correct. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this one was one of the, like, the very first R-rated DVDs um, uh, my, uh, my parents let me own, um, the, um, like I, I was just in a video store one day and I think it, I, I'm pretty sure it was a huge hit when it came out. And, um, like I remember going to the video store and I was looking for just things just to, cause back then I used my allowance and just like bought movies like willy nilly. Now I'm way more, uh, regimented, if you will, about that sort of thing. But back then I was like, Ooh, movies. And, uh, <laughs> um, I think Inside Man, like there was like a used copy or something because uh, someone had rented it. And so I just had had bought it. And um, without really like, and again, like I was I was still forming my, my taste. I had already, I'm sure we'll get into this uh, in a bit, but like I had already seen some Spike Lee movies um, even as like a 13-year-old, 13-year-old kid. And um, so watching it, I just was transfixed by it. Um, I watched it a bunch of times th those first several years um, I had it then then I of course you know throughout high school start watching start dipping my toe into more uh, prestige films as it were um, but for some reason Sp Spike Lee movies like weren't a part of that for whatever reason um, and then in college um, I went to film school for a few years and in my class where we watched a lot of uh, a lot of classics. Um, I always say this, the three movies that really made an impact on me or impacted me the most that I had watched exclusively through that class were The Conversation, The Limey, and Do the Right Thing. Uh, Some good movies right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, I mean, Do the Right Thing just like knocked me, knocked me on my ass. And I remember returning to Inside Man ever since. And ever since, I can't help but see the spike in it. And by default, it's it's become it solidified itself as one of my all time favorites. Not to say it's the greatest thing ever, but kind of like you were saying with your Hall of Fame. I mean, it very much plays to my sensibilities of being just a a lifelong crime movie fan, uh, a lifelong um, mystery fan, because this movie is kind of a covert mystery movie mm -hmm. where it, it like I feel like the it's 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 definitely a heist movie because that's what the story is about but when you really get down to the structure and i was i found myself taking so many notes as i was watching the film um i was like no this is really denzel's colombo uh colombo type of mystery film like this is really really awesome <laughs> like everyone who says like oh man devil in a blue dress should have got a sequel that's kind of what inside man is you know just way more modern so yeah. he's kind of doing the hey, just one more thing here uh like with people like, <laughs> it's like hey uh uh mr case one more thing aren't you a nazi uh so yeah. um I, oh i should we're gonna spoil the shit out of inside man so if anyone hasn't seen inside man i, I we both are excited about it you should go watch it um because it's a, it's weird it, it was a huge hit when it came out in 06 um and but it's kind of it, now that we're like 15 ish years removed from it it feels I don't know if underrated is the right word, but not, it's just not talked about that much, which was another reason we brought up on talk about it, because I really like it. And this mm -hmm. kind of feels like movies people are like, oh, that's a good movie, but they don't really have anything, <laughs> you know, else to say. It's like, it's just a good entertaining movie. Like, but I don't see it come up much on, people don't bring it up on Twitter. They don't, I don't, I don't see a lot of podcasts about it, which is weird because it's so like stacked with talented actors and it's Spike Lee yeah. 
And it's think okay, this might be the first thing I want to bring up. I was watching this movie and the credits were rolling. <laughs> and we're like, I don't know, 12 people deep. And then it's like Willem Dafoe. And I was like, wait, Willem Dafoe is an inside man? And I forgot <laughs> because he plays like a normal cop. Like he it's like to steal a phrase from I think at this movie, this movie has a Willem Dafoe like to spare. It's just like has a Willem Dafoe to burn. Like I just was I was blown away by that. That Willem Dafoe, I forgot he was in it completely. And that he just like you do not need to Willem Dafoe to play that part. He's overqualified to be that guy. Like <laughs> completely. I mean, I like him in the part, he's fine, but I just was like losing it over like, wow, they really got Willem Dafoe. Like, and it's not like Will Defoe was a nobody 2006. Like, he was very well known, very famous. And I just thought it was hilarious that he was like head of the SWAT team. It's like, that's all it's like. I was like, is there an extra wrinkle to this? Nope. He's just like a normal cop. And then even beyond, um, well, you, you, oh, I feel yeah. like, well, my one of the points I was going to bring up was like, I feel like, I feel like Lee cast him because. One of the the hallmarks of Denzel's character, um, whose name is Detective Frazier, um, he kind of endlessly proves to everybody um, that even though the odds are stacked against kind of like a, a broke aging detective, like that he is kind of the biggest dick in the room. Because there's that, the, the first scene that where we meet uh, Willem Dafoe's character, uh, Dafoe is like, yeah, by the way, um, you and Chuelo IG4, y'all just kind of stay put. Like I... Um, Detective Grossman, our boss is out on, on you know, like I, I only take orders from him, so I'm gonna run this. And then that's when Denzel's like, actually, Detective Grossman's on vacation. I'm the big dick here. <laughs> you, you, like, you listen to me. And then Willem Dafoe's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> then they're pretty cool after that, I think, for the most part. Uh, there's still some friction, but it's not even, yeah, they don't fight as much as I remembered. Um, and that's the other movie has, uh, I'm going to, I've tried to say his name so many times I butcher it, uh, Chihuahua Ojafor, Ojafor, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I tried, you just said it, I was like, that's how you say it, I still can't. Um, <laughs> Chihuahua Chihuahua Ojafor. Okay, okay, thank you, yeah. He, oh, no, 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 excuse me, excuse me, I think it's uh, Chihuahua Ojafor, sorry, sorry. Okay, yeah, I, I was I like hear, thinking. I hear, I hear the, the pronunciations of his first name a lot, but I know for a fact his last name is Ejiofor. Sorry about that. That part I thought I knew, the, the last name, but the first time I was confused. And I hate, like, when I can't pronounce someone's name because I feel like it's, you know, I don't want to be respectful and say the name right, but sometimes yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I tried, you know, but he he's such a talented actor. I know he was less famous in 2006, but that he's just, like, you know, uh, Denzel's sidekick. And I'm like, the fact that he's just in this movie, like, hanging out and being the sidekick it's like man they got they got him here just you know as a he's just another a great piece of this cast and it's like um <laughs> it's just crazy like this is i know this comes up all the time on this show many other shows but it's like this is the kind of movie that comes out in 06 and it does well people like it it's a big hit but like you watch it now and how things have changed with how movies are made and things and it's mm -hmm. like i appreciate it even more because it's just so like uh so well made and just stacked with such a talented cast. It's like this was like a, I think I thought it came like mid March, like which is not a hot time for movies. It's like a mid March kind of fun programmer, fun heist movie. Um, That's adult. Yeah, for adults. Yes, it's like I forgot it was rated R. I was kind of thinking it was P thirteen, and I was like, nope, that was wrong. <laughs> like it was, you know, it's <laughs> it's for adults. Like, um, and it's just like I appreciate it. I think even more than I did at the time. You know, I thought it was great at the time. I really, again, right. super entertaining movie. Um, 
but it's just you watch it now and it's like damn this is a good time and that spike lee got to make like a a big um studio movie with all these resources and because he his career has been like up and down in terms of like i mean his own movies i will get into it but like he he has some <laughs> hits and misses but like he doesn't usually i don't think it to work with like this big a budget and all these resources like he had like 50 million dollars this movie or something and like um and i'm glad it was a hit for him because sometimes he doesn't get hits like um sometimes he makes things that are great movies but they just don't do well financially so it was like oh that was good that spike lee got like a you know he got a big hit inside band but um well he's just... the type of filmmaker uh if you don't mind me interjecting really oh quick. that's fine yeah <laughs> yeah well Lee's the type of filmmaker he you know he he kind of much like a lot of like um, people of his generation, because he came he came into film as um, one of like the the offshoots of the film brats, the new film brats, like guys like De Palma and Scorsese and Spielberg. Like he's kind of an offshoot of that because uh, I uh, Scorsese taught him um, in his in his college days, so he is mentored by his heroes, Scorsese, Bud Schulberg, um, who wrote um, the classics. Um, Ace in the Hole and On the Waterfront, which a lot of his movies reference those in, in many ways. Um, and uh, Ilya Kazan, like he's very much influenced by those New York method acting type of directors. And he kind of, I was looking at his filmography earlier, uh, right before I rewatched Inside Man. And it, it, I feel like a lot of filmmakers are kind of like one for me, one for them, or one for me, two for them. I feel yeah. like he's like, 10 for me and one for them uh, <laughs> yeah i was thinking the same thing it's like a lot of a lot of movies for him and a couple every once in a while for for them for the studios like because i feel like this movie is kind of the the clock i feel like this movie is kind of like clockers um it begins with clockers like the, him doing a studio thing and then 25th hour which he makes after he made 25th hour right after one of the most controversial satires probably ever, um, uh, two years after that. And then he makes Inside Man, and which are not, with the exception of maybe Clockers, um, just just being, um, having more uh, African-American actors um, in his cast list. I feel like these three movies kind of forge a bit of a trinity for him. And I feel like Inside Man is him doing the studio thing, but perfected. I feel like this one, is the best of, the, of that three studio movie indirect run. And I think by extension makes it one of his best films. Um, like I, I love this movie and uh, it's, you know, I, I bring up the Tony Scott thing earlier because, because not only is Denzel the lead, but it has so much of the tiny stylistic flourishes where mm -hmm. some of those flourishes are very much Spike Lee um, like there's that amazing shot where um, a hot where um, people believe a hostage is, is shot, the authorities do, and then Denzel becomes super angry and just uh, you know rides his his mode of transportation <laughs> to the bank. And there's the classic overhead shot that Spike Lee often does. That's very much Spike. But then you get um, whenever Willem Dafoe is plotting how he's going to infiltrate the bank in the third act of the movie. And then you get the Spike Lee's playing around with different scenarios and like you see what would happen if, hey, if we if we take out these bank robbers with guns, we could potentially kill a hostage or 
here's what can happen. Here's how we do this, but with rubber bullets. And then they come up with rubber bullets. Like they, he replays that scenario twice, but he does so through the language of what Tony Scott and Michael Bay would do. And it's a bit hazy. It has that, that, that New York director uh, greenness to it that I think is really cool. And I think this movie gives Spike an excuse to really flex his muscles while he's pretty um, not at the fore for a lot of it um, um, in terms of the directing. Yes, I I would agree. It's like he's he's doing a lot of his own stuff while while, you know, still making a pretty commercial movie like he does the i thought you were going to bring up and maybe you were saying this and i was confused the the very famous spike lee shot that's in every spike lee movie i think it's like called the double dolly where he he will put somebody right in front of the camera and kind of like pull them along if they're just floating along oh yeah the that's the denzel yeah. shot oh, the, okay that's what i thought you were talking about yeah the denzel shot when it's like you know he thought they killed a hostage and it's like he's so uh what's the word i guess you could say he's so emotional that it feels like he just is like flying to that bank door you know what i mean he's like i gotta get up there like i saw people criticize that shot on letterbox and i was like well first of all it's really? just, yeah they were like took me out of the movie i was like one shot took you out of the whole movie like it is <laughs> i think this is the first spike lee movie I ever saw so i did remember thinking that was a weird touch but i liked it because it was a weird touch and like it's like uh i was like well that's interesting like why did he do it like that but then i watch I think, I think every Spike Lee movie, I don't know when it starts, but has that shot. So I'm like, well, that's just his calling card. He has to do it. But I, I also think trunk shot that 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 double dolly shot. That's his Tarantino trunk shot. That's oh I yeah see. yeah exactly. And I feel like and I feel like it works inside man because it's like he's just seen the shocking. He thinks the hostage has been killed. He's so shocked that I feel like you get the impression that he just is like the world is kind of buzzing around him. Like all you know, it's probably. Like he's not even seen or hear anything else. He's just like, I gotta get to that bank door. And then it's like you cut to him pounding on the bank door, and he's very emotional and upset. Um, that he thinks they killed the is telling him, like, Keith, Keith, like he's not calling him Frazier at that point, he's calling him by mm-hmm. his first name to try to get him to calm down and not do anything to further jeopardize the assignment. And that that shot works for me in context of the movie. I mean, I don't have a problem with that shot in general, uh, probably because I am I do consider myself a spike fan even though I, uh, I haven't seen a, a lot of his films because he oscillates between features, documentaries, concert movies even, like, and commercials, yeah. like Spike's done. He, he's run the gamut, essentially. Um, and, but then there, there are so many other moments like that where, um, I mean, Spike even does the, the, the vertigo shot where um, whenever, um, it, it's during the scene whenever, it's like a blink if you miss it moment, whenever Clive Owen is, he kind of reveals a bit of his motive to Jodie Foster after their exchange. Because uh, there's a point in the movie where Jodie Foster um, is called by Frazier reluctantly to infiltrate the bank and just talk to Dalton Russell, Clive Owen's character. And through a really brilliant line of, uh, a, br- a really brilliant bit of repartee, he eventually is like, you know, he basically says, hey, Arthur Case worked with Nazis. Like, he's kind of right. fucked, you know? <laughs> and um, there's that shot where you're watching Christopher Plummer smiling, you know, like, kind of devilishly as he's he's being pulled. There's an illusion where he's being pulled to the front of the camera and the background is pulled back. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie has these moments like that. I mean, there's even a scene, it's not the Vertigo shot, but but the first time after Act One, um, I think it's a, it's it's towards the midpoint of the movie where uh, 
Clive Owen is taking off his mask and there's a 360 shot as the as Terrence Blanchard's fantastic score uh, is blaring on kind of giving setting this dangerous mood going um, and that begins kind of a, a series of, of really cool blocking shots the movie it cuts away from the authorities it's, it's cutting away to these really exquisite blocking shots of, of the bank and I think I think what I'm trying to say is is you really feel Spike's voice in the film um, and uh, and 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 I think that's what makes it much more remarkable because what I wanted to ask you um, about kind of like during the Spike Lee binge, I want to ask you how you feel about what this comment I'm about to make, but I feel like out of all those greatest directors of all time, I feel like he's among the messiest. <laughs> One, 100%. And I've said this about Spike Lee for years. I feel like my line about Spike Lee is, it's funny because again, I haven't I haven't seen that many movies of his, but I was basing off a few things. Like, uh, but I love I but I love his messiness. But I think he always <laughs> he always is directing like like he's out to really tell you something important. Like he he directs with like a real mm. urgency. Um mm. like and he always has I they can tell like it's like he has to put this thing out there in the world. Like he so there's a messiness to it. And I especially watching a bunch like in a row. And like, yeah. again, kind of where we're at with like modern movie making, I feel like even if I don't think stuff is necessarily like working that well, like there's a part of me that appreciates the messiness of it because I'm like, this is like someone's really trying to make their own piece of art. And like, no, there's not, it's like, it's so him. It's not like it, it hasn't gone through 50 filters. It hasn't gone through a bunch of corporate notes. Like it's just so him and like again it may be good or maybe bad but like i can't help but appreciate that like this is uh, most of the time unfiltered spike lee and it's like he's yeah. got to say something it's gonna be it could be messy the messiest may work it may not work like i watched this is probably we're talking about a bunch of spike lee stuff but i watched clockers for the first time and oh, i nice. liked i liked it but I thought it was super messy in a way that I thought was distracting because there's a constant score that ha this happens a lot of Spike Lee movies too. The score yeah. is like ever present and kind of distracting. And Clockers also has like m many things happening uh, at once. It's kind of someone, a few people called it like a season of the wire condensed to a two hour movie. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I could see that. Um, it's uh, it's, it's, it's like he, sometimes can like lose control of the thing in my, in my opinion, but like, I think the performance are good in clockers, but I just think there's like, it's, it's just kind of messy in a way that I don't like as much, but then I'm watching something like bamboozled, which I think is messy in its own way, but I think it works because more than almost anything or any movie he's made bamboozled feels like, uh, he's really angry and he's really got something he wants to say, has to say, not wants to say, has to say. And it's like and a like, rock anthem for two hours, you know? Like, yeah. And the fact they shot it on those like mini digital video cameras, which I really had a hard time with at first. I got a little more used to it because it, I, mm -hmm. it's not a pretty looking movie. <laughs> like it's no, they no. a lot of like the, there's some, there's like performance scenes when they're doing the show and bamboozle that are shot on 16 millimeter. But I think I read that like everything else was like mini digital video, which are cameras you could go buy yourself from like an electronic store <laughs> in 2000. But but Spike Lee had a very limited budget for Bamboozled, and he was like it it he could shoot very quick and very fast and get a bunch of 
um, setups that way, like way easier. Um, but it's ugly looking. I mean, it's not it's not pretty, oh, but yeah. it's like there's a real. I think the messiness works in Bamboozle. Like, what's well, an ugly it, subject matter? You know? It, yes, yes, it is. I. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough. I mean, it's a tough movie to watch because yeah, it's ugly subject matter, but it's um, man, it's just that's what I love about Spike Lee is like is like I'm there's an urgency there's a messiness there's like I have to say this thing um that I really appreciate and I that was I was I think I was talking this before we started recording but like Bamboozled's a tough one too because like I it's amazing that movie ever got made by any studio New Line put it out and yeah. uh God bless them for just and Spike Lee I watched an interview on the the Criterion Blu-ray Bamboozled and the interview was like did the studio like interfere at all? Were they scared? You know, and like he said, New Line, because because the budget was so cheap or so low that New Line kind of stayed away from them. Like it just they didn't really uh, mess with them that much at all. And he said it was right. very easy um, because that takes some friggin' balls to put out bamboo. Because like, how are you going to market bamboozle? Because I I was this story I was getting to was me and a couple <laughs> friends had gone to Barnes Noble probably during the Criterion sale in November the past couple months ago. And we're walking down the aisle and one of my friends like stopped and like gasped because he was like, what is that movie? And pointed at Bamboozled. I said, I said, it's Spike Lee. I said, it's, it's a Spike Lee movie. I was like, those are black actors. It doesn't make any better, but those are black actors. Um, Cause they just in put blackface. that image. Yeah. On, on the cover uh, of these people in blackface, which you don't, you don't see anymore for many, many good reasons. Um, it's shocking to see in 2022 um, at that time. It was absolutely, and I had to, he never heard of the movie. So I'd at least, I'd own the movie. So I was like, because uh, it was hard to see for a while. Like you couldn't even rent it digitally, but I think you can now. But like, no, I, I hadn't bought... seen it until last year. Uh, I was I was lucky enough to rent it on Amazon because I think I think when I rented it, it was like barely, I think it was just like $2.99 maybe um oh, and then yeah, after yeah. i watched it first off uh, i just had to say like bamboozled uh for for me it was like probably the the objectively best movie i saw last year for the first time i it blew me away i like bought the criterion during the the following sale last year thought it was awesome um so i'm happy you took to it as well but it's not an easy movie at all like by no means no it's very uncomfortable to watch honestly <laughs> like it's super like the language being used, especially like he, some people who aren't even Michael Rackerford says some things that are like, holy shit, why? And then, and then just watching anybody, even though I think the movie's trying to even say, like, it's like, oh, well, they're black actors doing blackface. And it's like, just seeing blackface is shocking. Um, and there's that whole scene in Bamboozled where they do the show for the first time. And there's all these like people in the audience, a lot of white people who are looking around like, how do I react to this? Like, because they're trying to do like <laughs> jokes in the show. Spike Lee in the interview, I thought it was pretty funny. He said, he was like, we shot that scene for the movie. And he's like, he's like, most of the white people, their reaction was like, was like it was in the movie where they're looking around like, uh, what is going, what do we do? What is this? Like, um, very uncomfortable. Like nobody wanted to laugh at anything, obviously. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> this is so weird. Like, this is like, what is going on? Um, I, it's it's I mean yes yeah, super uncomfortable but so good blew me away too um honestly might be I'm really spoiling things way early but it may be on my discoveries of the year by the end of the year I don't know but um it's so early it's hard to tell but um 
it's so good. It's it's like an important movie that I'm so glad he got to make because um he, he clearly like there's it's it's angry, but it's such sharp, like pointed satire. Like, oh, that's the other thing I was saying, Spike Lee. He's not subtle a lot, which I know people kind of knock him for, but I don't mind because I feel like he I think he and he's right, I think, that these subjects are so important that that he doesn't have the time to be subtle. I think he's like, I don't have time for subtlety. Throw it out. Like, we got to just hammer this thing. We got to hammer this thing hard. Because, like, Bamboozled, much like, I think, Black Klansman, I think some other things he's done, they end with using montages of real-life things that kind of really drive home the point, like, yeah. of what you just watched. Like, you watch all these, like, terrible stereotypes of Black people that have been in media for years at the end of Bamboozled, and it's like... Mm-hmm. yeah it's really like this is it's it's been bad like they've done a really bad job in hollywood and everywhere and um and black well, Clans ends with that that whole montage of um a lot of like the uva stuff when they had those guys come to the campus and like with the torches yeah, and you know yeah. and that just pissed me off because like i i mean i live in virginia <laughs> and i've been to uva and That's that right. hit like a different kind of nerve like because it was still pretty fresh too and it's like a year after it happened or something and Spike Lee's just like, look, we've made no progress. Like, look where we are. And it's like, that is really upsetting. Like, so I remember I, that was probably the angriest I ever left a movie. And not because it was like, I didn't like the movie. It was just like, it hits such a raw nerve. And I remember there's a couple next to me who were also like pissed in the same way I was. <laughs> so they were like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> like, um, Especially but, if it's I mean, your home state. Like, that's that's got a, I didn't even think about that. Because uh, I was I was going to bring up Black Klansman. Um uh, but yeah, because that that's the angriest I've ever been in a theater for a movie that I otherwise love. Right. But I yeah. loved it. I loved it because of, of that lack of subtlety. And I wanted to say earlier, uh, to your point about the critiques level against Lee for his lack of subtlety, I think what works about it for many, and I think the reason why his career has persisted through as many ups and downs as it has, is because at the end of the day, he is a truth teller. And he's often pigeonholed by critics, even other Black people in media, um, as the angry Black man. And whereas Mm -hmm. what I love about Spike Lee, though, and I should have said this up top when I was talking about how I came to Insight Man, because my first Spike Lee was Malcolm X, actually. Um, That was a movie, that was one of the, the kind of the big adult movies that I watched. Um, My mother showed it to me because she had it on DVD uh, for a long time um, um, before I was like 10 years old. Um, and you talk about a movie that just like completely ripped me apart, put me back together, cleared my skin, kicked my ass, did all the things. It, it yeah, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to that in a minute. But I think with his lack of subtlety, I think the thing about Spike is that he is so in love with his characters and his subjects that he will critique anybody even people of his own ethnicity and culture, uh, because you see that and do the right thing um, through, he encapsulates the black communal experience so much of being in a neighborhood where you see the critique of, of elders through Ozzie Davis's character, uh, Demayer, and then with mother sister played by Ruby D, the, the respect and the veneration and the warmth of elders. And it's kind of that, dichotomy that he plays with as much as he is you know looking looking at John Turturro uh, and Danny Aiello and that whole family 
um, the hypocrisies of, of white America, and then just breaking down the hypocrisies of all nationalities while he still loves them and cares about them as their flaws come through more as the movie goes on. And I think you see that throughout his career because with Bamboozle, going back to that, um, you know, that movie is as much of an assault of the absolvement of many black stereotypes throughout the history of media as it is of African-Americans who kind of use the stereotypes to sell for their reputations and for their revenue. I mean, he, he's, he's targeting proliferation and, 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 and corporate, corporate wrongdoings. And I think both of, those play, both of those things play very heavily into Insight Man. As much as the movie is a crowd-pleasing heist thriller, what got me on this viewing today was the movie is kind of, it, 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 it's kind of a, uh, it's a detective movie where the, de the detective is on the rocks through his career, through his money, through the fact that you know he's he's on the side, he's quietly helping his deadbeat, uh, his deadbeat potential brother-in-law kind of get get by because he loves his girlfriend so much. This is the guy who single-handedly uses corporate fixing, and inadvertently by the end of the film uses what the thief accomplishes, and the way that the thief wins out the the person who begins the movie narrating to really kind of save the day. And the movie is kind of Spike Lee's very subtle critique of what was going on socioeconomically at the time, while he's also commenting on his own home city about how prejudicial even the authorities can be and how classist corporate America can be and how corporate wrongdoings tie into political wrongdoings. I think through that, that's why this movie is so good, in my opinion, is because it very much captures New York as a city. And I think someone who's so entrenched in that lifestyle, like a Spike Lee, could make a movie like that. Yes, I mean, those are all, it's all good points. Like, it's a very New York movie, which I appreciate. And Spike Lee, I always think, I always think of him as a New York filmmaker. Like, oh, yeah. that, they go hand in hand. Like, I just can't separate it from New York. And, uh, um, Yes, it's like he's he's New York to me. Like he's Brooklyn. Like um, he that's you, you said all this just now, but I love yeah. That's the other part of it. I don't know how much was in the script originally, how much he added, but like um, there is it's still yeah, very fun heist movie, very kind of a fun mystery crime movie, but it still has all these like political elements, social elements. Um, uh, I mean, I I don't think he's I don't think he paints the cops in a good light. Like uh, watching it this time, I was thinking like. I was like, man, it's kind of weird. Spike Lee did like a movie that like the cops are, it's all about the cops, you know? <laughs> like I just kind of thought like, <laughs> but what I'm like, man, even Denzel is not like, he's a little morally gray because as soon as he sees an opportunity to take, you know, this thing from Jodie Foster and as an option to move, get, you know, bump his career up, it's like, he takes it. And it's not even like, I think other movies would have him like wrestle with it or just be like, no, I'm, you know, I got morals. I'm not going to do it. But it's like, it's kind of more realistic to be like, he already sets up, he, he needs more money, basically. Like, he doesn't want to post his girlfriend because it's like, this stuff costs money. So it's like, then, and they offer him the the kind of position. And he's like, okay. He goes back and tells uh, <laughs> uh, Cheetah Edgefor, he's like, he's like, I took it. He's like, I love that line reading too, when he's like, 
He's like in first grade, Keith Frazier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way he says it, it's so great. And he's not even looking at him. He's just like, he's just in it. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's stuff like that. Like that one cop that I think is the first cop that kind of sees a bank robbery's going on. Spike Lee does not make him look good because he's saying some uh, racial stuff. At one point, Denzel's like, all right, calm down with the color commentary. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, yeah. Cause he I, asked, Denzel asked him to recant, um, recant the big thing that got him into into doing like that specific job and he and he starts he starts throwing he starts throwing out like slurs against um spanish-speaking peoples and it's like all right dude chill out dude and because <laughs> but the the, the, the the ironic thing too and i think this speaks to your point of how morally gray denzel is i think because denzel says that after he's he that other cop is like, okay, and then this African-American guy had a gun, and then, then he's like, whoa, 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 now, you know, and, and that's hypocrisy in and of itself, because he said all these things before that, and then Denzel tells him, hey, hey, cool it with the with the black stuff. He doesn't say the the other thing he says with the black stuff, which I thought was very interesting, very much in line with his character, and I think that's what makes this an interesting pair with something like uh, Miami Vice, which came out the this, this same year, is that both of these movies are about authority figures who they're good guys, but they don't always do the right thing. No pun intended. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, good job. That was float <laughs> <laughs> right into that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's moralistic. And I think that that's part of the, 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 the New York element that I think drew Lee to it, not just the city, but also the fact that, um, cause I think, because I, I read a little bit today when Lee was taking this job, because I was like, because I've always wondered, like, why would he take a studio movie in the first place at this point in his career? And uh, he said he really loved Dog Day Afternoon because Sidney Lumet mm-hmm. is one of his favorite filmmakers. And so he saw this story as a contemporary take on that movie, which is where, which is where I think the, the social commentary comes into play is because what I love about heist movies and why they're so, they're, it's one of my favorite genres is because I love seeing how filmmakers use it to address common, common issues. Um, because in a lot of ways, I feel like when you're making a genre movie, I feel like in order to make it timeless, you have to paradoxically encapsulate the times. And like, there's this amazing series of shots that are really edited almost montage light together where uh you're seeing uh the hostages it's like a it's like a tracking shot where you're just like focusing on their faces through mask and they're talking about well who robbed us okay it was clearly al-qaeda no actually it was the people who bombed this part of the world or no it's actually these war criminals like it's all these things that should date the film Mm -hmm. but i feel like these things deepen it not just because of the people attached to it but because it's kind of this lost time capsule, both visually, aesthetically, and thematically. Um, and I think, again, the fact that it is a detective movie, I think that's something I love about the detective genre and, and why the, the current criticisms going on for a certain movie on Netflix are kind of peeving me at the moment is because if you read an Agatha Christie story, her stories were always topical. You know, we just don't criticize them because we're not in COVID. We're not in... Uh, well we are in what i mean is (laughs) those stories were not in COVID. they weren't in a post 9-11 climate whereas something like this in like glass onion is like the whole point 
of following a character in a, in a, in a creative addressing his financial status is to, is to make us quickly identify with him early on. I mean, that's why, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is an action movie, but something like Die Hard with a Vengeance is really effective is because from the get-go, John McClane, uh, it's very clear that his, his relationship with his wife from the previous two movies has pretty much completely, completely dismantled by that point. And he's even more beaten down. He's even more of a drunk than he was when that franchise began. And I feel like this is Spike Lee's version of that with Keith Frazier, because Keith is not only having a big dick, Willem Dafoe <laughs> and the SWAT guys, um, because there's that line of dialogue where him and um, Detective Mitchell is uh, Edgy Force character's name. After they meet Dafoe, they're walking down kind of as they're kind of planning their wait, being like, okay, we've got to wait and see the, see what these thieves are going to do. We, we have to pick their brain. In order to do that, we have to wait and kind of calm down the SWAT people because Detective Grossman, who's Willem Dafoe's boss, is professed to not having respected what Detective Keith Frazier does, which is which I'm guessing, as many times as I've seen this, I've always read that as that's probably why he hasn't made first grade because that would, there's been things throughout Detective Frazier's career that he's had to commit in order to get the job done. Um, and then you see that dichotomy through Jodie Foster's character and how she treats everybody. And especially the way that she collaborates with, with Denzel, it's a very hard partnership at first because she's all about the glitz and the glamor and she's an expert at that, an Ivy League type. And Denzel is way more street smart. He's more of the type that you would expect someone like like a someone like a Mookie from Do the Right Thing or or a, or a Shorty from Malcolm X. Like he's he's that type of character who's way more street smart, but people because of that, people don't see that he is truly book smart and a truly effective detective, which is why I feel like this is his Columbo character. Um, yeah, I mean this definitely is like uh he does have a Columbo type vibe to him, like I think we said. And uh um I was thinking when you were saying that kind of just about like you know, like, like who's right, who's wrong, but like where people are in this movie. I think it's funny that that Spike Lee, um, kind of at the end of the movie, I feel like the only ones that kind of come off as like, um, that or, uh, Spike Lee kind of feel like he sides with the bank robbers because they at the end they don't kill anybody, they don't mm -hmm. really take any money. Um, and uh, it's a very Spike Lee thing, I think, to to like say no, the real the real enemy is like the rich, powerful pa a man who abuses power, you know, like the real yeah. bad guy is Christopher Plummer at the end of all this, like, um, cause you know, it's like, it's just such a <laughs> shitty thing to do to like sell out your, I guess I mean, like Jewish friends at the time during world war two to the Nazis, like you sided with the Nazis and it's like, um, how yeah, much he lower kept his, his Parisian yeah. friends, wives, Cartier ring, which is, so fucked up on a whole another series of levels and um i mean goodness i mean how do you feel about christopher Plummer and really all the performances in this movie like how do you feel about the cast uh, in general like it's crazy that they're all here but how do you feel about the way they're used yeah it's i it's again a very all-star stash cast it's crazy uh it's funny because yeah i love christopher Plummer. it's so the movie's really working well because it gets me to really hate christopher Plummer. 
who I otherwise think was a very <laughs> likable, nice man. I think of like Knives Out and how like likable he is in that movie. And then it's like by this movie, they completely turned me on the guy. I think he's the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> it's like it's um, funny. I yeah. had that thought too today because like um because Harlan uh from Knives Out, it's kind of like this character is the antithesis of him in a lot of ways. Yeah, because yeah. in both this and Knives Out, you feel Plummer's presence in the background throughout the whole movie and he's not even in both these movies uh in abundance but then when he pops on like his iconography is there and it's almost like in a movie of all these swinging dicks like Denzel peak Clive Owen Jodie Foster even like he really does stand out and shows you hey this is why I'm a legend and you're gonna watch me whenever I'm on screen mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I was gonna now bring up Christopher Plummer and that ring I wonder if you noticed this this has bothered me for years and my friend who i was talking about earlier watching who likes the movie too he was like bring up that weird thing with the ring did you notice it's at the very end of the movie when denzel goes to confront christopher Plummer and he shows him the ring and it's like on his middle finger that's like a cgi hand wait what look how, <laughs> why it moves it moves so unnaturally like it, it comes up huh. like whoop like it comes into frame like whoop and it looks a little weird and then it, it the way it comes out of the frame it looks like it just goes straight down. Like it's not the way a human hand would like move if wow. it was actually. It's bizarre, and I tried to Google it. I found a little. It wasn't like, the easiest thing to find, but they were the only thing I could find was someone saying like, um, "Yeah, something happened where they like missed the pickup shot for that or something." They didn't have the shot of like Denzel with the ring on his hand, which I find odd. Or they thought to do it later, where they're like, "What if Denzel gave him the finger?" with the ring on the finger, you know, give the middle finger with the ring on the finger. And they just wow. did it. They digitally added it. If you watch it, it is weird looking. <laughs> it's very, it's like Denzel's there. And then this hand like pops into frame and then it goes like down, like whoop. Like it's just, it's very weird. It's a, it's just bothered me. I wonder if you noticed it. Um, I've, I've never, I, I've literally, I've seen this movie many, many times, but like, I've never noticed that now I'm now it's going to be, now I'm going to watch I'm, it and be I'm like, sorry to, Marvel. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to do this to you. I've cursed you with this. Cause I, I think a lot of people have never noticed it, but I, it bothered me. My friend, we noticed it like back on TV years ago. We were like, the fuck was that a fake hand? We were like, what's going on? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's very uncanny Valley when you see it and you can't, I'm, I'm sorry I did this to you, but now you have to share my curse of noticing it, but it's, it's a well, very it's gotta quick... be the studio. That's gotta be the studio yeah. because like, I don't think Lee would, would stand for that. And that's, and I say that partially to defend him, but also um, because I hear stuff like that all the time where it's like, well, the studio needed this this one shot to be in there. Like I, I think about another 2006 movie. Uh, speaking of, you know, Mark Warner. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, shout out to Mark. I read at the beginning, I was like, we're doing a 2006 movie without Mark, but I'm sure he loves Inside Man. I feel like this is a Mark Warner movie. So I'll oh, it's you. it's gotta be. It's gotta be. Um, because I think I'm thinking about the rat in the, the Departed. Um, how oh, I'm yeah. like, really? Why is there a rat there? And I love the Departed, but I'm just like, really? That that's gotta be there. So yeah, it's it's these things happen all the time, especially because, like, I feel like this was, like, the height of, like, people still going to see movies for, like, uh, adults and stuff. So this is a few years after uh, the second and third Matrix movies. So uh, there was an expectation that R-rated movies didn't have to be so four-quadrant, so to speak. But, yeah, that's a that's CG hand, man. That's that's going <laughs> to that's gonna bother me forever now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm curious <laughs> you're going to go turn on, like, right after this podcast and be like, oh, my God, he was right. <laughs> like, maybe I'll be surprised if you're like, Matt, I still don't see it. Then I'll think I'm going crazy. I'm like, wait, is it not? It just looks very off to me. Um, <laughs> sorry to take us on that weird tangent, but I just had to bring it up because it's been bothering me for, like, 15 years. So, uh, <laughs> but I think 
I, I was watching this movie too and thinking, man, what happened to Clive Owen? Because I feel like Clive mm-hmm. Owen was like all over the place in the mid 2000s. And I feel like I don't see him in movies as much. I know he's in a couple TV shows, like uh, I think a show called The Nick, which was only a couple years ago that people seem to like. I never... show. Yeah. And um, he wasn't Gemini Man. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, and he pops up and stuff, but it's like. Um, yeah, he was like everywhere in the mid 2000s. Like he was like, I think they were trying to make him a star. And I don't know, I guess he probably had some things that bombed a little bit. And then they kind of were like, well, your time's up. But it was just, it was just weird. Cause like, I think he's really good in this. And like, especially from his opening minutes where he does the like straight to camera oh, speech. It's so good. I'm like, man, Clive Owen's really good. I was like, why don't I see more Clive Owen? So um, yeah, I really like him in this. I'm, I'm assuming you're probably the same way. Oh, I'm definitely the same way. I mean, I, I, uh, the, the last time I was here during the Jackie Brown episode, I talked about how my entry point into Tarantino Rodriguez was the Kill Bill era. And I hate that I didn't bring up Sin City because that, now I can bring it up here because Sin City was another DVD that I wore out a lot back in the day. I will say, I do, I haven't gone back to it in a few years. The last time I watched it, it didn't quite hold up for me, but you're, you're the Rodriguez head, so you, you let me know if I'm, if I'm, you know. I, I haven't watched it in a while either. It's so funny you bring it up because I've had it like penciled down as like, should I do a show on Sin City and the Sin City sequel, which I never actually saw, um, Dame Oh, you never saw Dame to Kill For? No. And I, I heard at first it came out at Bond, they waited way too long, I think was the problem, like nine years through a sequel. And then I heard people kind of more recently say like, hey, that Sin City sequel is like, not that bad. You should check it out. Um, so kind of reason to do the show too is to finally watch that sequel. But I don't know how I was. I mean, I was all about the city because it was Robert Rodriguez. Um, oh yeah, do, doing this comic book um, that I was kind of familiar with. I don't know if I'd actually read it or just was familiar with it. It just looked so cool at the time. It was nothing that looked like that movie, and I knew Tarantino was like kind of involved. I he directed like a scene, but you know, it was like anything <laughs> with either of those guys involved. I was into especially in 2005, like I was super into it. So um, I want to rewatch it, but I am a little nervous too, because I don't know how it's going to hold up for me. Cause it's been, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I couldn't even tell you how long it's been, but I, I will be curious to see how it finally holds up for me. I think, I think, cause I haven't, I haven't rewatched it since college. And uh, I remember I, I, I sat down to watch it with uh, a couple of my roommates and like the whole time I was just sad uh, <laughs> because uh, well, and and I still think it's I still found it entertaining, but the the it's so CG based that like I found myself kind of taken out of it multiple times. Mm-hmm. So I it's one of those I need to properly reassess myself. Uh, but it was it was at the point, and two that part of my college years, I was more into you know the really gritty crime stuff, you know that kind of thing, like uh, and, and that type of stuff. So I was like Sin City, man, that's. I like that when I was a kid. Fuck that movie. No, but but uh, <laughs> but but no, uh, but but I think it is. It would be worth a reassessment, especially considering that when it came out, it was um, kind of a cult sensation. I mean, the comic in general is a cult sensation, and uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, speaking of Clive Owen, eh, Clive Owen, Jesus, sorry, it's not even that late. I'm sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> no, but there's this really good movie he was in. Have you ever heard of a movie called Croupier? I have heard of it. I've never seen it though. Um, did I see it's, you log that kind of recently on Letterboxd? Or am I imagining that? <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, okay. you said you, you, know, you were correct because um, <laughs> it's a movie I really, really love. The first time I saw it, um, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. Like, it's not what I expected. I was expecting because it's from the director of Get Carter and Flash Gordon. 
mm-hmm. um, who passed away very recently, Mike Hodges. And that's why it came up again. Yeah, that's I'd heard about it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I rewatched it because he had passed away, and I just rewatched Get Carter recently, um, which is one of my favorite movies. And Croupier is really good, man. I think what got me about this watch versus my first watch, which was, um, I think it was 2021 when I first saw it, I think I was underwhelmed because I was expecting it to be more of a straightforward 90s noir. Like I was expecting more of a Tarantino out of sight um, um, kind of thing. Whereas it's really a character study about a struggling writer in London um, who takes up being a croupier, who, which he's done before, a croupier being um, someone who basically counts the cards in a casino. Uh, there's probably a better definition, but I don't gamble, so there's that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bear with me, folks. Um, but he, he, and he's a narrator because, and, and the narrator, excuse me, the narration is him working out the aspects of his book because what he's doing is he's, he's, trying to be a croupier, trying to build, uh, he's trying to build back income from his financial foibles, but at the same time, each part of the movie is a chapter that the narrator, who is Clive Owen, is working through so he can finalize his book and prove to himself that he can write the book. And on a second watch, the narration truly does hit different. And I was able to love the film. That's just a great character study. And the first half of it is kind of his audition tape for James Bond. Um, which, which I, I suppose is why he kind of blew up after the indie circuit so much in the early 2000s. Uh, because between Inside Man and, and I do recommend Croupier, by the way, I think uh, it's on Netflix right now. Oh, okay. um, if you're not familiar with Mike Hodges, it's a really interesting movie. I don't know if everyone will love it like I do, because uh, I like dark crime dramas that leave you, leave you cold and leave you like lopsided in the bed, just crying and shit. I like, I like that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> back to those douglas surf melodramas just it's like <laughs> <laughs> matt's like oh dear but um <laughs> i don't want to feel emotions when i watch them I'm just kidding <laughs> like no emotions <laughs> just people blowing up uh in live wire that's all i want <laughs> <laughs> well between inside man and children of men in sin city like he was i feel like that was kind of his peak and then um, oh yeah yeah, then after that, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But uh, now he's, I know he's been doing TV and stuff like that, but I would like to see a Clive Owen resurgence again because I think he's so talented. And yeah. uh, I think he's so good here. He has been doing more stuff than I even realized looking at his IMDb, like working more than I thought and stuff. But um, yeah, I just think he had his his moment in around this time and um, did well. I mean, I'm sure he's happy with the work he did, but it's like, I think they mm-hmm. gave him kind of a shot and did the thing where Hollywood does where it's like, all right, well, you had your couple years of, you know, starring roles and it didn't, I mean, this was a hit, but they probably were like, well, it's because of Denzel, not you, you know, they're, they're like, I think he did something called like the international, which I don't know how well that did. Like I'm looking at his IMDb and it's like, I think there were things that just probably didn't pan out as like leading man type roles. They probably were like, eh, you know, like. That, how do you feel it. about shooting him up? I, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Because. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say I like shoot 'em up, but I don't even I don't even know if I can remember well enough to even say I think I thought it was a little <laughs> this is crazy coming from me. I think I thought it was a little much like, but but I mm-hmm. think I'd almost appreciate it more now than at the time, like that it's so ludicrous. I don't know. I uh I, I think also I don't think of like Clive Owen. I feel like I think I thought he was like the wrong guy for that part because I thought it he's a little serious to me. 
like um oh yeah he's like saying uh um uh what's up doc like just with a straight face as he literally right. eats a carrot after, what, after <laughs> unloading his pistols uh on some um on some assailants and that's the first like minute of the movie so yeah also like he's a little too serious for how like ridiculous that movie is i know there's a crazy like sex scene but also shootout that he's having like at one point like um you know but i i don't know i i I need to watch it again, honestly. I don't, I don't know, but um, mm. he's really good in this. I like him in Sin City. Uh, this might be my favorite role of his. I can think of top of my head, like uh, from what I've seen. I haven't seen that many Clive Owen movies, but uh, I did suffer through. Sorry, I like it. I did suffer through that King Arthur movie he did that was like the year before this. Oh, Antoine Fuqua, yeah. Which is yeah, a weird thing for Antoine Fuqua and for it, like the whole thing was weird because it was like it was trying to be like really serious, I think, but it was just not a fun movie. And I'm actually kind of an Anton Fuqua de- defender. I feel like I like way more of his movies than I don't. And, uh, but I think that was a miss. I remember I saw in the theater. I want to leave. I was like, I thought it was really boring. I was like, I was mm. like, Oh, this is not what I wanted. I don't, I don't think a dead serious King Arthur adaptation. <laughs> like, um, no, thanks. Um, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, didn't love that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it had but to yeah. have been that and shoot 'em up, um, kind of the one-two punch of that. Because uh, I, I saw shoot 'em up when I was in college, because uh, my these same roommates they put me onto that movie, and uh, I thought I thought it was a, a, a fun at the time. I have not revisited it since. Um, <laughs> it's funny we're bringing up Clive Owen because a lot of these Clive Owen movies, besides Croupy, I haven't rewatched uh, recently. But um, but uh, I remember after the movie was over, and this was shortly after. There's that. Uh, shoot he there's literally a shootout um i don't know if you remember but uh where clive owen is in the air i think with the baby strapped to him um <laughs> uh-huh. it's like the, he's falling out of a plane and he's just shooting people um granted watching it now maybe because it was very cg heavy uh that sequence. oh yeah yeah so um so i don't think I, I it would play as well to me now so maybe I, maybe okay maybe i should just listen to you maybe i shouldn't like Maybe I should keep that in my past, so to speak. <laughs> but I know that that movie was a box office flop, so that had to have done it to him. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, on paper, shoot him up sounds like it should be totally my thing, but I don't, and I, that's why I kind of want to rewatch it because I'm like, I don't know, but I have like a very vague memory of it, but I want to see it again. It's, uh, <laughs> it should be, it should be my thing. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know when I rewatch it. <laughs> but um, uh, I was gonna say. Also, the other, I feel like she was like a surprise that she popped up with Jodie Foster and Inside Man, because I felt like she was working kind of sporadically. It was almost like a surprise when she popped up in movies. <laughs> like, um, I think she made enough money that she could kind of pick and choose and do what she wanted that time. Like, I don't know, she just wasn't working as much. Like, um, it looks like there's like a movie every couple years from her, like in the mid, the 2000s. Um, and she's actually in a really good movie that, I, well, I don't know if it's really good, but I really like it. The year before called, have you seen Flight Plan with her? I have not. I haven't. I, I know what you're talking about, though. That's where she's on a plane and she loses her daughter, right? Yes. It's, it's, I remember I saw it in a theater, like on a whim, because I had like nothing else to do or something. And I was like, oh, I'll go see this flight plan movie. And I was really into it. And again, I really haven't seen in like 15 plus years, but <laughs> I, I think it's a really fun little thriller. I'm also a sucker for like plane movies. I don't know why. Like a movie on a plane, I'm like entertained usually, <laughs> but, but it's a good little thriller. And, uh, Again, kind of a I think overqualified cast for what it is, but um, I just saw that I was like, oh yeah, flight plane's good. Like, and then she pops up in this. And I think she's 
pretty good in this as this it's not really like especially at first it's like almost anybody could have done it kind of like the Willem Dafoe cop thing where it's like okay we just need someone to be like a really kind of like buttoned up businesswoman fixer type thing but I like how she becomes kind of more I think she's trying to be very cold and detached like she's like I fix things I don't care mm -hmm. what it is I fix it and I think the more it goes on and she kind of sees like you know what's happening with the whole situation and like it's a little more complex for her than it starts off as which I, well, I think she plays pretty well yeah well that's the thing sorry about that Matt <laughs> well actually no um <laughs> well um I love her I love her in the movie I, I meant to bring that up earlier because it's the type of character where at first it's like okay you're this ineffectual type that we've seen in every other crime movie of the you're not quite the authority, but you're not quite the criminal. So you're the kind type of yeah, mysterious, like outside person who like does shadowy business and we don't know, you know, what you do. <laughs> like you're, yeah, like a mystery type person. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of like uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus in the MCU right now. Like she's kind of that oh, character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except this is, I like this. <laughs> I wonder where you're going with that. You're like, except that I I enjoy this. Uh, not like, yeah, I, was, I don't think people are digging to Louis Dreyfus in the MCE right now, but I, but I, it's a good. I mean, the comparison makes sense. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I probably yeah. shouldn't have made that comparison. That's all I could think of right right now. Sorry, sorry, folks. But um, <laughs> but no, um, I love her in this movie and her casting because she's the one character in the movie who is constantly pissing off all these men around her, mm -hmm. and yeah. it endlessly proves to them just how good at her job that she is. And that's the thing about this movie. It's very much like a, like a, like a Michael Mann film in that it's about people who are really good at their jobs. Um, in fact, the only reason Denzel fucks up is because Denzel is following his own rules. And I feel like you enter uh, Madeline White, played by Jodie Foster, where from the get-go, whenever she's called by um, Arthur Case, she's like, so you're calling me. How come you didn't get one of your people to call me? And then that's when we know from the get-go that he's protecting something. And that creates the big outer conflict of the movie. We think up until that point that the movie is just a bank robbery, heist, dog day afternoon ripoff, when it's really about this much larger thing going on that, that amounts to a much bigger crime. Um, because after then, she meets the mayor, where there's these, the mayor of, 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 of the city, where... Um, she gets them out off the table, like like um, she's talking to someone at, I think, a lunch or something, and then they go into a private room, and then he goes from the usual pleasantries to being like, okay, what the fuck do you want? And <laughs> it's such an amazing, it's such an amazing moment, the way that she just kind of battles him verbally. And of course, that's, and I love all of her scenes with Denzel, because she thinks consistently that she has the upper hand on him. And for a while, on first watch, we think that especially when she's in the car with the mayor and Keith Frazier and she's like, Hey, we know about this $140 that you smuggled uh, for this cash bust. Um, and then he denies it at first. And we find out later on that he's recording that. Um, and so he now has evidence of her bribe to further get her on his side. When ultimately we find out after her conversation with Clive Owen, that she's really on Denzel's side the whole time of trying to figure out okay if the robber isn't necessarily wrong in his motivations then who is wrong here and 
she's the first person to really smell bullshit on what looks like an ostensibly simple bank heist that can just be fixed, you know, with a, with a simple infiltration. But she mm-hmm. knows better because she brings in the corporate element. But she also gives Denzel a bit of a threat at first because not only is he battling up against authoritarian figures who hold higher grades than him, but also he's having to battle kind of the, the highfalutin, highbrow academia that she represents and that people think, and again, for the reason why people think Denzel, because I mean, there's that, God, there's that great scene where uh, Foster is looking at, is, is facing Denzel in the face after her scene with Clive Owen. He's just like, okay, so you know, you, okay, you, you, you're kind of like him, so please think like him. What does he want to do? And she's just like, to be honest, I don't think you can afford to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know what? You can kiss my black ass after this is all over. And, <laughs> and it, it's just, it's just, it's <laughs> such an amazing moment. And what's already a really funny movie, and I want to stress that to people. I mean, much like Bamboozle, this movie happens to be really funny uh, most of the time. Yeah, I so, forgot yeah. how much actual, like actual little comedy beats are in Inside Man. It's a funny, like, it's got, it's not a comedy outright, but it's got funny moments that are genuinely pretty pretty funny you know it's like it's uh i well sorry i don't want to cut you off too i have something else to say but go ahead go ahead (laughs) i not to pick on the movie a little bit i think and -hmm. this is more of a spike lee thing i've noticed too that we talk about all the other things with spike lee about this and that and i listen i'm not saying this is a negative i'm not saying it's a positive but there's a (laughs) there's a lot of horny energy in spike lee movies (laughs) like this man (laughs) listen from like the get-go it's got some there's always some horny stuff going on i thought inside man pulls back on that quite a bit but there's still the whole thing with there's like a so with the, the criminals <laughs> kind of disguising themselves and like um nobody really knows who's part of the robbery because they all were dressed in the same clothes um so when they're interrogating people they basically know like they know that like one of the girls <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, how do I say this? It was a bustier gal. I'll say that. Uh, it's like I'm a 1930s report. Like a bustier gal, see? And like she, like, so there's a lot of stuff with like boob jokes, which I'm like, oh, this is very 2006. And um, there's a horrible, I think it's the worst line in the whole movie. And it's like a bad joke where one, the one of the girls they're interrogating, help me out because I can't remember the exact line, but she's like, she's like, oh, what? Because I'm a 34 double D. So what is the it's like a pun oh yeah she um it, it's it's actually it's right after they interview um the innocent person with the um the larger bosoms um i hope i can oh if you need like to try not to say like big boobs like it's just like we're just really <laughs> just we're p- trying to be gentlemen here uh i mean yeah i yeah after the other girl that they interviewed. sorry <laughs> Well, and that and that opens up another thing too. Like, there the the movie has these really brilliant uh, fast forwards into the interrogation scenes. It's shot in a different way for uh, for people who haven't seen the movie, but are, but want to listen to this conversation, <laughs> where um, they kind of tie things together. And Spike Lee's way of tipping off the clues, while also informing what happens throughout the concurrent events of the actual narrative. I think that's a brilliant touch. But with that, um, with with our our boob comment, and, and I, I do, that does detract from the movie for me. I actually do agree with you. That's why it's, because uh, I think on Letterboxd, I give this four and a half stars. That's pretty high. I know that, but guys, I love what I love. What, what can I say? I love this movie. But watching it today, it was like, ooh, you couldn't do these jokes now. Uh, because- Right, yeah. 
the the thief woman, the one who shares that characteristic with the other girl, uh, she says, "What did I do? Did I did I commit the the misdeed of of capital uh, capital thirty four double D?" And it's it's a end. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I found yeah. So yeah, Denzel's like. It was like, what? What's the character they share? It's like, oh, your cup size. And she's like, so I violated section thirty-four double D. I'm like, yeah, oh, boy. Like I kind of like rolled my eyes a little bit on that yeah. line. Um, yeah, no, just, it's, I, it's it's yeah, it's it's a thing. But but I will say what that does though is uh, from the because I think I forgot what scene it was. Um, it's in my notes, but um, okay, it's the okay, it's right here. It's the first time that you see the first fast forward with the with the. I call her the obnoxious analog to her where she's talking on the phone, like, and being like, okay, okay, this isn't, this isn't a ballpark. This is a bank, you know, like I get to say what I want, that kind of thing. She, she's just rude. And so um, right after the interrogation scene with her, you cut to the, <laughs> the, the bosoms of the, the opposite woman who's the lead of the, of, of the bank heist, the female lead. And that way, that to me is like a diehard moment. And I say that because um, this kind of goes back to the last time, one of the last times I rewatched Die Hard was with my mom. And there's the whole gag where McLean is, um, is just looking at the, the, the photo um, of, the, of the topless woman. And what becomes a really puerile sophomore gag, it becomes a way for us to track McLean's geography throughout the entire Nakatomi. And I think that that is what Spike is doing here. Granted, he's not kind of focusing on geography like McTiernan is, mm -hmm. but I feel like that's his very early odds way of using humor to create something that will come back later on. And I think for the time that's clever, but that is comedy that has not aged well. You're all right, Matt. So yeah, but I just, just want to explain that context. <laughs> it's not like the worst thing in the world either. It's just I. It's just kind of like a little juvenile and it just reminded me of like i mean spike lee did not write this movie that we should spike lee uh, of all his movies he's directed i think there's only like five or six out of like 25 movies that he's not at least had a co-writing credit on and this mm -hmm. is one of them he did not write the script was like floating around that's how it, it was the ron howard brian glazer thing um so i don't know if that's even his thing you know like the guy who wrote it I, just... yeah, I blame i blame ron howard that's why <laughs> that's all let's blame ron howard for everything it's like <laughs> seems like a perfectly nice man but no i uh the other it's funny the movie ends i was gonna say the very final line of the movie i think is like denzel's gone back home um with his girlfriend that it seems like now he might propose to her um and she he finds a diamond that clive owen put into his pocket when they bumped other to the bank and uh, she says, I think the line she says is like, oh, come on, the handcuffs are getting cold. That's the last line of the movie. And I was like, classic Spike. He just had to get, <laughs> had to get one little thing in there. And this peaky through, oh no, it's R, I'm sorry. This, this little like, mainstream movie. Like, um, it's just, thought it was funny. I was like, there, there he is. But it's just, uh, he's it's, a cheeky guy. And I feel like that's another, um, that's another <laughs> misrepre misrepresented aspect of him. It's just how funny he is. I mean, um, I mean, one of my uh, goodness, I'm trying to think. I mean, I just love all the lines Ch uh, Chiwetel says to Denzel throughout the movie, especially when after they leave. I mean, in that same act, um, after they leave Arthur Case's office, after the CG hand scene. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that to you because now you're going to be like, Matt, I can never unsee it. <laughs> yeah, I can never unsee it now. Goodness. Um, 
Joel's like, man, like that is the the biggest ass whooping I've ever seen. Like the that that ass whooping's bigger bigger than the than the tunnel at the end of the the Brooklyn Bridge or something like that. And it's it's <laughs> I thought that was funny how like Joel goes from being like a, a confidant. He he oscillates between being a confidant to being a true partner to being kind of a fanboy in, in certain places. Like, yeah, this is Detective Keith Frazier, guys. I don't know. It kind of, I love detective movies whenever they build up the mythology of the detective. I just think that that's really, really cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, apparently a lot of Denzel and, oh God, <laughs> I'm trying so hard. I just have a, <laughs> like, uh, let's call him Edgefor. Uh, a lot of their stuff apparently was improvised, especially the interrogation scenes. Like Spike let them just like oh, wow. riff with each other, which I kind of get, you get that vibe, I feel like, that they're having fun and just kind of playing off each other. And it feels kind of uh, pretty natural, I would say. Like, uh, there's a good me? rapport there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, what would you say? No, no. Uh, uh, how Chiwet How uh, I think it's Denzel who tells one of the people, like, "Did you rob a bank?" And then they start laughing. Like, I, I just, oh I yeah, because it feels so natural. The fact that it's improvised that that makes sense. It's I know. It, I really enjoy that stuff. I that was gonna say the movie like puts a lot of because it was funny as I was watching this time and I didn't rewatch this movie in a very long time. Like I don't know, it's been years. And uh, um, I was thinking when it started, like kind of maybe the first 20, 30 minutes, I was like, huh it's not as like spectacular as I remembered, but then it starts putting all these things into play and mm -hmm. becomes so much. It's very interesting. Like how it puts in like, okay, so we have a bank robbery. Great. Interesting. Um, what, what are the bank robbers actually up to in there? That's interesting. Like they do the interview segments that take place after the robbery. They start dropping those in there. You have the whole Arthur case subplot starts to kind of rev up where you're like, well, what's his deal? Why does he want, the side of the bank, Tony Foster comes in and it's like all these, they put all these balls into motion and they start rolling and it gets. From the jump, they do that. Like, uh, sorry to cut you off, Matt, but like, I mean, even with uh, when they, because Clive Owen introduces the movie telling you the who, what, when, where, and why, and he leaves off the how. And I love that about this movie. I love that about this first act, especially because the first act, like you were saying, it takes its time. It feels like it, especially if you're, Cineliterate, and you're paying attention to the machinations of it. Where before the 30 minute mark, you know who Madeline White is, you know who Dalton Russell is, you know who Keith Frazier is and his partner, and the conflict with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's brother, and what he's doing to kind of save uh, save him and his marital struggles. All of that stuff is established like barely before the 30th minute, and I think that that's so important because in a heist movie, I think where a lot of heist movies suffer on rewatch or why they, a lot of them tend to not be rewatchable at all. As much as I love mystery films, um, the biggest crime a mystery can, can do is, is to not want you to come back to it. Um, because the way this movie layers so many different character motivations and the way that it nails the relationships from the jump, um, it makes it to where you don't want, you don't even care to know how the heist was devised. You just want to see it play out. And so you're really focusing on the other aspects that Spike wants you to in order to build what he actually wants to do, which is a mystery film, you know, while there is heist theatrics going on. And I think by nailing both of those things for a mainstream audience and making it to where you have little to no questions by the end of the movie as to how this heist 
persisted in what it means for the characters, I think that that provides an emotional deepening that makes this movie so rewatchable. It's not just, oh man, there's so many twists and surprises. It really is, oh, Clive Owen's not really the bad guy when you break this down. It's really, he's really perfecting the heist in order to guide the cops and to guide everyone else through his skepticism, mind you, that he really is correct in wanting to defeat Christopher Plummer. In an extension, uh, really wanting to defeat hierarchies of people who build their status and their legacies and their wealth through stepping on the little guy. Because Clive Owen is the little guy, which is why it's called mm-hmm. Inside Man. Uh, yeah, quite, and quite literally, he is inside. <laughs> that blew my mind when I first <laughs> talk about the twists. Like, I mean, it throws a lot of things at you. And like, I, that, that's a hard thing to replicate. Like, I remember, I, you know, whenever I saw this in 7, 2008, uh, I was kind of blown away by the twist. I was like, wait, he was still in the bank? Like, I, you know, it was like, and all the things they reveal about they didn't kill anybody and like, what's actually going on. And like, there's just, there's a lot of um, things dropping. So it's not just one, you know, one big twist. That's it. There's a few things that are kind of pieced in there, which does make it more. Body. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. like rewatchable. Um and just you know i just it's a very entertaining movie like um and yeah it, it's just uh it still was really fun to rewatch after all this all this time and like yeah the structure i think you may mention this to me maybe off mic or the structure is interesting because i was like kind of clocking it when i was watching it and like the hostages get out of the bank with like 30 minutes left in the movie <laughs> and i feel yeah. like you think like wait well the, in most heist movies that's like the very end of the movie it's like oh the hostages have been freed but then there's all this other stuff to do, which almost might seem like superfluous in some movies or seem like, can we just wrap this thing up? But the stuff that comes after the the actual uh, bank heist part is pr- still very interesting. We have to wrap it up and all these threads kind of get, uh, we finish up all these little threads that have been dangling. Um, it's interesting because I, I remember thinking like, wow, there's still so much time on this movie and we're already... The, the hostages have been freed. What else is there to do? And there's still, there's still so much going on. Yeah. Earlier um, that in any other movie, we like in any other movie that um, us like that the hostages being let out and there's 30 minutes left in the movie. Like, why is that interesting? And I have an answer for that. So I feel like the way the movie is structured with the interrogation scenes kind of splitting up all of the event sequences throughout the film the movie adds an emotional component through the individual character conflicts going on. And the 90, the, the, the 90 minute mark, the hour and 30 minute mark where uh, Denzel breaks open the tray uh, with, the, uh, with Clive Owen's demands, he breaks it open, he finds the bugging device, he, he runs out, he calls and, and, and tells Willem Dafoe to chill with the, with the SWAT team. Like, hey, please don't, don't go shooting. Like, this is what this is what's part of the plan. And it's the mm-hmm. very, and then Clive Owen has been listening. And so he, he, he's like, oh shit. Like he doesn't break his cool, which is part of the, the performance that I appreciate. He doesn't break his cool, but he loses his cool on the inside. And, and it's the very first time that Denzel finally has it up on the thief who has planned this out to, uh, to, to literally right on the money. And, um, because we've had all these interrogation sequences, because we've had all these emotional conflicts, in addition to what should be a general populist heist film, 
that's when you can have all of this 30 minute falling action because then when Denzel is recanting his, his seemingly failed interrogation moments to his boss and his boss tells him to, to just forget about it, that's when it makes sense that, okay, Denzel, he was recording Jodie Foster the whole time. He can now use that as leverage to get the corporate side on his side mm-hmm. and then use his detective staccato or, or his vibes, if you will, to further bring down the main guy in power, the Arthur Case, to his level. And he, and he realizes at the, in the very, one of the very last shots of the movie in flashback who the head thief was, and he realizes just how correct he was the whole time. And I think it's that, I think without the, the weird structure and without the, the unique balancing act of all these different characters, um, all these interrogations, which in any other movie would be in the last act of the movie, the fact that we get that all the way, it helps make the last act so clean and further pushes the satisfying factor of the, of the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, it's I it's it is it's interesting because yeah, your your movie clock is like, well, this should be done, but it, that's where the more I think mystery aspect kicks in. Like the the bank heist part, you know, basically done and now we have the the mystery to solve where Denzel can go full like Columbo basically and like <laughs> and go and confront Christopher Plummer. Yeah, I mean, it's all no I have no problem with it. I think it's it's more, interesting. One more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's different. It just makes it different and you like you said your average kind of like um standard kind of heist movie. It's all the extra stuff that that gets put in there and that makes it like more unique and stand out and um the stuff that i think i really enjoy about it so um yeah it was just intro i was just like kind of you know again noticing this time i was like well that's just it's different it's just a different kind of thing um trying to think what else i want to say about it because um feel like there could be plenty more but i feel like i also just want to talk about more spike lee stuff in general so i'm like i don't know i know you took a bunch of notes for inside man so i do not want to like cut you (laughs) off early or anything so i don't want to like you know, uh, if you had things you really wanted to say about the movie or anything like that, that, that stood out to you, you want to bring up, uh, please be my guest. <laughs> oh, goodness. I mean, to, to be <laughs> honest, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, the, I feel like in a weird way through just this conversation, we've kind of nailed like a lot of the main points I had. Uh, I mean, really, um, Matt, if, if, if I could just throw the ball back to you, I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite moment or do you have like a favorite, is there like a, like, where would you, I know we're about to rank like what our favorite Spike Lee movies are kind of the, uh, later on, but like, I'm curious, I'm curious, like, like what, do you have any like other favorite scenes that we haven't talked about um, that really stick out to you? Not really. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I was, there's a line I really enjoyed from Denzel, which I forgot I took from this movie. I, I, maybe he said it somewhere else too, but, um, when he's like, you know, bullshit a bullshitter. I was like, oh, I, still yeah. say, I still say that randomly, um, to my friend occasionally. I'm like, don't bullshit a bullshitter. I was like, oh my God, that was an inside man. I was like, I completely forgot where that came from. I've been saying it for so long. And, uh, keep saying, I want a plane and two buses. Oh, and, yeah. uh, he's just like, don't bullshit a bullshit. You know? <laughs> That delivery makes it, so, man. It, I, his delivery is I, I was going to try to even capture his delivery, but just it's, it, you know, he, that's what I love about Denzel. He does these like little things so well and takes like, takes like lines that might be fine on their own, but like adds like a little something extra to them. Like in the way oh, he, yeah. the, like we did, you did earlier, the detective first grade Keith Frazier thing, the way he says that, like 
Um, <laughs> it's like little movements he does. It's like it's like little things that he does. Um, He's a great a, physical presence. You know, he really is. I, you don't actor. Yeah, he does not like. He's a guy that like it's hard for anyone to come on and try to like blow him off screen. Like I, that rarely ever happens. Where it's like it, it he can't look away from. Him. He's so like electric. I feel like he mm-hmm. like he's against like all you know Jodie Foster and Christopher Plummer, and they do fine against him. But I feel like he always just commands your attention. I was thinking that this time watching, like Dentel's always like commands your attention wherever he is in the frame and like whatever he's doing. I just think he's. It's funny because there's another Spike Lee movie I'll bring up where. um I think he gets kind of challenged by another pretty big name actor. And I think it's one of the few times I've seen him kind of almost get, I don't want to say beat, but like are pushed out by another actor. Um, Cause the other actor is so charismatic too. Um, but actually, yeah, I mean, I just love, I love heist movies. I love all the stuff. I love when they go through like the playbook of like, okay, now we're going to ask for this and now we're going to get the food. And now we're going to demand <laughs> like, and I love that the thing about they send them on the wild goose chase with the tape. It's like the Albanian president because they know they bugged the pizza boxes. So they give them some bullshit to listen to for a couple hours. I love like the, the, Oh, the that scene and... is so great. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's just like, uh, oh yeah, I don't speak Albanian, but my, uh, my ex-wife is Albanian. Right. And then Denzel's just like, well, can you call her? So she can decode this. And he's like, nah, man, I, I hate, I hate her. Like, just like, it's just, it's so, it's, it's just, it's so great, dude. It's so There's great. all these like, yeah, like street level people that, that Spike Lee brings in. I feel like it's like him showing like, you know, New York, it's all these different kinds of people in New yeah. York. It's a melting pot. Uh, um, which they, I love that they bring it up. It's like, they have this tape. They don't know what the language is. And they're like, this is New York City. Someone's got to know what this is. Like, this is, you know, we got people everywhere here. Um, I don't Ooh, know. There's just, There is yeah. something, uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, man. Um, there, There is something I did want to ask you about. Um, how do you feel about the the child actor that's in this movie? Because that's, that's something that was in my notes that I wanted to bring up with you. Um, was the whole uh, very of its time, but still relevant GTA commentary. <laughs> Yeah, apparently Spike Lee like had a company make that game specifically for this movie, and he said make it as like over the top as you can. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, yeah, that's very of its time, but yeah, it's still a thing. I, I thought the kid was good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's been anything else, but um, I thought like he did exactly what they were asking him to do. I'm sure, and like did a good job like delivering it. Like, um, uh, yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was fine. Really, I thought he was good. He didn't. He was like a kid performance where I'm like, oh, this kid sucks or anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but get this kid out of here! No, I thought he was perfectly fine. As far I do like that little scene between him and Clive Owen, where uh, it stops for a second, and Clive Owen's like, "He's a bank robber." You know, we it's like he's like, "You shouldn't be playing that. It's violent." Or you know, telling this kid like, "Don't play violent video games." You know, um, <laughs> nice he was, no, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, yeah, I've got to talk to your dad about this game because I think in the in the actual game, whenever. Uh, the character is like shot in the head and his brains are splattered on the wall. Like you, you hear Clive Owen go, goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, it's a fun little beat that like the movie kind of stops that scene. Cause there's really, I think of anything else, even it's just the two of them. I don't think anything is like revealed in that scene. You know what I mean? No, it's no, like... it's just, it, it's a, it's a, it's a one-off scene. And I only brought it up to you because like, I think the movie is kind of, I think that's a part of the commentary that kind of gets looked across for, for whatever reason. But I think, cause, cause again, I think this movie is such a time capsule of, of the debates that were going on, even though it's very much a, a genre movie. And uh, 
Yeah, that's why I bring that up. I mean, the 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 kid. I think the the kid's good for for what he he has to do in the film, which isn't much. Um, but I think between that, the construction worker they call in, and then later call in his ex wife. Um, I think, goodness, I, I think I think what I'm trying to say is I appreciate that Spike Lee, even in his most like blockbustery kind of fare, he still finds a way to honor the smaller characters, the smaller supporting characters, because I really love it when movies, they feel like they're building out a world. And not to say this movie's on some like sci-fi type shit, but um, <laughs> there's no, no like aliens or anything like that. But like the, the movie feels, it just feels very lived in. And I think I appreciate that about scenes like that. I don't know. I like hangout movies. So I like it when, when filmmakers work in hangout moments into bigger concepts, if that makes sense. It does. And I, I always think it's Spike Lee getting more like social commentary in there, which is kind of what we're saying. Like he's working in social commentary into like what could be a, uh, you know, it's like a fun, straightforward heist movie, which it still is, but oh, yeah. he gets the stuff in there like that. Um, I think it was the thing that was bothering him at the time. This is like two years after uh, GTA San Andreas, which I, I'm sure was probably the game he was thinking of. Like um, oh, yeah. there was a lot of games like that. Um, and yeah, I, it's so I'm sure he wanted to get that, that shot in there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a fun little moment um, between those two characters, which otherwise I think could, it's a moment that could easily be cut out because like it says, it doesn't really have any other ties to the plot. I'm pretty sure unless I'm missing something, but well, um, yeah. I, I like that in the movie because I feel like in too many movies where the villain isn't deep, or, like I think his, I think Clive Owen's motivation is deep. I think he's sound. I think he's a good, interesting villain. But I think uh, that moment is kind of there to kind of, show a bit of humanity yeah yeah i mean because i think i think about what we saw like like minutes before that where it's the first time you're really scared of clive owen individually and not just his clique of thieves where um really criminals i need to stop saying thieves because they don't actually they only they they well they still the nazi sign which is which is fine please still (laughs) yeah that's um, fine they can do that (laughs) yeah that's fine but um but then you get um you get the moment where um, he's asking, uh, I think the character's name is like Hammond or Peter Hammond or something like that, where mm-hmm. he's asking for his phone. And he, he's having to rummage through the bag of cell phones. Uh, to, to, and he, he pulls out a phone, uh, a flip phone, so 2006, LOL. That probably dates um, the movie more than anything is the phone technology. I, I was thinking like, <laughs> all the flip phones is like what dates it more than almost anything. <laughs> But but you know what though I love how um, how uh, early like after after that moment um, it might be before that where Willem Dafoe is talking about like yeah we can't like really infiltrate their surveillance like without recording them because um, because they jam the airwaves and then that's that's a that's a very quick way a very blinking or missy moment of being like okay this is this is the movie's way of explaining that like we can't just like tap into their phones we have to af- actually bug them with the pizza boxes and then listen to them which later on clive owen is like by the way send sandwiches next time it's like oh my god (laughs) 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 but um i i guess if i had anything else to say about it um uh if anyone's listening uh i hope you really do i hope uh me and my buddy um who's kind enough to have me back um tonight like i hope we really 
convinced you to rewatch this movie. If you hadn't seen it in, in quite a few years, I think it's a very underappreciated, very lofty effort from one of our, one of America's great filmmakers. Um, I feel like this movie, um, due to the nature of what it is, which is what I love about Film Feast. I mean, you, your, your podcast is, is very much rooted in giving a voice to uh, genre, genre films or just genres that don't get the type of exaltation that, that we, we feel like they deserve. And I think Inside Man very much plays into that. I think it's aged in such an interesting way, even if some of it doesn't all the way hold up. I think what's important is that the entertainment value, the story, the acting, uh, Terrence Blanchard's score, uh, who collaborated with Lee on quite a few films. I think. Oh yeah, and that's this is a great score. I this this I found yes. that it's a great score, and I feel like it's another. It's it's pretty. It's used pretty often. Like that was my knock on Clockers was like the score was like a little too pervasive and too constant. But I think but it it's works perfect here. It's yeah, I think it works here. way better in Inside Man. I I read something where the score was reused for something else. Maybe Black Klansman. I don't know. He used parts of the score for mm. that movie. And I think I'm like, when I was like, okay, that sounds right. Cause I think that's right. But uh, it's a good score. It's a very, it's a good score. I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I almost forgot about it, but yeah, um, no, it fits, it fits the, I think jazz and noir go together, like peanut butter and jelly. Like literally, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> because it's all about mystery and, and seeiness and, and finding the underpinnings behind the corrupt and finding the heart in it and the soul. And that's very much what jazz is about. Um, and I feel like the score really does reflect that. I think when, it, when the movie is called to be romantic in the few moments that it is, and just low key, I think Blanchard nails those moments. I think there's a, there's a really great, um, when, whenever, um, uh, it's, it's, it's right before the last act, whenever, um, whenever Clive Owen's team is organizing the hostages to kind of get into positions before they release them all in total, the score makes this like really cool little, uh, I need to find the track on YouTube or something, but the score makes this really cool. Like uh, it's like a trumpet that's kind of like used as kind of like a, like this like uh, motif almost that kind of feels like it would be in like Mission Impossible or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I just really love what Blanchard does with that. And, and, and the score is filled with these little tricks like that. And I think he got a little bit, I think Blanchard in general got a little more, um, uh uh experimental with the music because he did the music for clockers i'm looking at it right now but like i do remember having that issue with clockers as well um which is why i think that this is his that's it's spike studio film perfected um because i actually had similar issues with the 25th hour i, I rewatched that yesterday uh unfortunately my opinion has not changed i, I feel like that's a that's a good film that uh kind of suffers from to, to me the messiness doesn't work with me in that one whereas mm -hmm the messiness in something like a, a bamboozled or even a black clansman i think is expert there so yeah um but yeah uh inside man i love it it's one of my favorite movies so happy it held up uh on today's rewatch and uh um again matt thank you for 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 having me to talk about it with and uh yeah i'm excited to talk more spike lee with you uh <laughs> in the minutes ahead oh yeah um no i was happy to talk about it because i have been a fan of this movie for a long time and like i said i don't think it's talked about enough um people that have watched it are like oh that's a good movie but yeah it doesn't seem like it's just uh held up like i'd like it to be um by people i, I like we talk about more it's a good movie um yeah i mean it's really <laughs> just a very fun heist kind of mystery with 
still Spike Lee's personality injected in there. There's some social commentary. Like, um, it's got a lot of things going on that are that are a great cast, like we said. I mean, it's got a lot of good things going for it. So, um, yeah, if someone hasn't seen it, I would definitely recommend it. If you listen to the whole thing and we spoiled it, uh, I hope that still still makes it enjoyable. But um, <laughs> if you stopped before and came back, it's great. Uh, we're like, it's a great movie. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Um, and yeah, I don't, do you want to do, I know we talked about both. I don't know which one you want to do. Do you want to do rank our Spike Lee Denzel collaborations and then do our top five just Spike Lee movies? There's only four. Unless I missed sure. one. There's only four Denzel Spike Lee movies. So I figured if we rank those first and then do our top five Spike Lee overall, I thought that could be interesting. So um, if you're cool with that. So I don't know if you want to go first or... <laughs> Oh, oh, sure, sure. I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> put you on the spot. I'm, but... <laughs> so, so just to recant, like you want to, you want to start with the Denzel ranking first, and then the Spike Lee. Yeah, Denzel, think... Denzel, Spike Lee, the ranking of our four of those. Yeah, because um, I think even if you say your number one Denzel Spike Lee movie, it may not be your number one overall Spike Lee movie. It may be the same, but it may not be. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it, yeah. uh, you know, that that probably be better to do that one first, and then do the the Spike Lee. So, okay, um, so I'll start off. So my number four uh, is Mo Bear Blues. My number three is He Got Game. My number two, Inside Man. My number one is Malcolm X. Fantastic. We're very close. We're only one off. We swapped one at the end. Okay. <laughs> I I have, uh, with the Denzel Spike Lee collaborations, I have He Got Game at number four, then Mo Better Blues then Inside Man number two, and then Malcolm X number one. So just that slight, and it's very close for me between He Got Game and Mo Better Blues. It's not like there's some big gap there of quality. Like, it's just like, I don't even know what made me, I think because Mo Better Blues is such a great looking movie because it's still, Mm. he's still working with Ernest Dickerson, which that was hard to watch Clockers after watching some of the earlier Spike Lee stuff when he still worked (laughs) with Ernest Dickerson because like, Flockers is like again, kind of to me, like a very I don't I don't want to call it ugly because it's better looking than like bamboozle because it's but it's he's going for like a real it's he's going for like a real like gritty type look. It's very grainy, like it's like super like it's just kind of an odd. I I don't love the the look of it honestly, and the score bothers me a little bit. But like, but like he got game. You're going in on Clockers today, man. I know. (laughs) Again, a movie I gave three stars to with a heart. It's on Letterbox, so that you know that means I like it. But it's just it's got problems. All I'm saying, but it's uh, but he got game is still good. I just think if I I'm like Mo Better Blues is a little more fun. I don't know, and that's what we were talking about earlier because Wesley Snipes in Mo Better Blues. And man, oh, Wesley he, Snipes is he, like a force he, of nature. He, like he damn like, near steals it from Denzel. You're totally that's, right. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. saying. I was like, holy yeah. shit! I think he, I don't, almost or does steal in some part. It's like wow, because I forgot. Like, like I mean, I love him in Blade, obviously, but like early '90s Wesley Snipes coming in, like just like a friggin' force of nature. Like he's just so like mm-hmm. charismatic. I mean, they both are, but he he seems really hungry. It's like prove himself Mo Better Blues. And it's kind of the characters have like a real combative um thing going on in Mo Better Blues. The two of yeah, Denzel. The love and, triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Love triangle and like fighting for time. I feel like on the stage with the, you know, when they're the same jazz oh, group yeah. and like um so I don't know if they really had problems in real life, but they are playing it well on the screen because <laughs> they're it feels like a real 
two rivals kind of going back and forth in that movie. But I, so it's, it's fun. The problem is uh, Spike Lee, again, the messiness, but his movies all tend to run like about, it's funny. I noticed this when I was watching those movies about the same length. They're all like 210, 215. And I feel mm-hmm. like most of them probably could benefit from like a tiny bit of editing. Like I've, it's like, like shave oh, yeah. off like 15, 20 minutes, but it's like, they all, that it probably goes back to the messiness where he can't like, help himself when he just wants to put more in which i can't really blame him for but sometimes i'm like this could you could shave a little bit off of this spike and it'd still be great but i think it's he... all the hangout moments in mobile blues because there's a lot of the characters and i love these moments in mobile blues uh because i watched that that was the first time watch of mine uh la- uh this past week of spike oh me Lee's too Uber. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um i think and this and this probably is why i put it last i feel like Spike is, I feel like when I watch He Got Game, one, I've seen it more times, so it stuck with me a little bit more. I'm still very, very new to Mo Bear Blues, so it'll, it, it, it will probably grow on me on a rewatch. But with He Got Game, I feel his passion for sports is more pungent. Oh, whereas... yeah, you could tell. He loves basketball. Like we, <laughs> I know he's all those Knicks games all the time. So Yeah, um... yeah. Whereas in Mo Bear Blues, he made the film as both a... Uh, a tribute to his father, Bill Lee, who was a jazz musician, but also <clears throat> Robin Harris in the film, uh, who's also in Do the Right Thing uh, and, and does stand-up uh, moments in Mo Bear Blues. I think he passed away after filming uh, because there's the dedication to him at the end. Um, but I feel like, how can I put this? Um, <laughs> I feel like the messiness, <laughs> And I and, and people are going to think, well, Preston complains about the messiness of Spike a lot. Trust me, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. But I feel like the movie almost gets too, way too dark at the end. Um, like with the, for example, it's it's a shocking moment. But when he, uh, when, when, when Spike is literally beat down by Sam Jackson and the other, uh, the, the other big muscle, um, it, it looks a lot like one of like the big moments in civil rights, especially like at, it, during the aftermath. And um, I was, I should have researched it before I did this, but like I was curious if Spike was kind of working that in because like they get beat up to a point where it's like, oh Jesus, you know, where it's like, I don't know if I want to watch this part again. So it's more of a, a fault of me than the movie, but thinking that way. Uh, but then the movie the movie ends with with bleak like not getting you know he doesn't get to play jazz which is the point and but he ends up it ends up being like one big circle of him raising his kid into a jazz musician um but i feel like the movie like i feel like the epilogue goes on a little too long for me (laughs) i was gonna say the same thing yeah i'm like wow they are really uh, but also kind of racing through it but it goes on for a while like they are i was like he's putting through a lot of beats here in this epilogue like he's like really running through a lot of stuff because even Spike Lee's character, like uh, during the wedding scene between Denzel and Joey Lee, like uh, Spike, uh, there's there's a shot where it's like, wait a minute, did he have a his cast on his hand again? And like, and I was like, oh, that must be him saying that that uh, that giant, his character never never really left gambling like that. That's really fucked. And I kind of wish the movie didn't rush things like that. I'm like, if if you're gonna have a long epilogue, I at least want it to have more salient content rather than just rushing through all the all the good parts being like okay the end and then i'm like well i have a question about about that (laughs) you know Uh um 
but uh but uh, mulberry blues i thought was really really good i definitely need to need to watch it a second time but it didn't win me over on first watch like some other spike films whereas he got game like i saw that for the first time um during COVID, actually um or it was before that excuse me it was it was i think a year or so before that because i remember it was on hulu and i watched like all two and a half hours of it all because it's like about 150 isn't it i it's a long movie yeah i think it's uh hold on i'm trying to check for you really quick um no problem no problem oh okay it's you said he got game right it's yeah like, he, it's only an hour 36 minutes so it's like 215 again oh that's wow <laughs> yeah okay. it it goes on a little long too that's the it's like it's <laughs> kind of his issue sometimes it's like the editing it's like just tighten it up um Okay, I gotta ask you. He got game. The, the, I forgot the other thing that really bothered me. Ray Allen, not a great actor. <laughs> like, <laughs> say? I mean, and he's not. I should. I can't be. He's not an actor. That's not what he does. He plays basketball. So yeah, he played basketball. Yeah, he's a, he's a great basketball player. Like, um, uh, I just was like, I I almost think it would have been easier to find a good actor and just, you know, teach him, like practice basketball with him if he's not if he's not good at all and then or like shoot around it and use a double or something because like like there's not even that much basketball in them like there's a good amount but like i think the stuff that i saw i thought you could have worked around this if you didn't have a guy that could play basketball <laughs> like but like there's so much more acting going on with ray allen that he has to do where i'm like man he's just and it's it's even worse when like poor ray allen is in a scene with like a bunch of great actors because like um, oh yeah mila joe's it well not well yeah M- mila joe she's, like, she's really good in that movie i i know she feel is like yeah i mean i know we think of her as like you know the queen of like action movies now which i mean she deserves and i like her in that stuff but like mm-hmm. um there's a scene with like i think he's in the scene with denzel and bill nunn and i feel like he is just he looks lost he looks like he's struggling to keep up like <laughs> I, Denzel, I think, does a pretty good job carrying Ray Allen along. Like, um, like God bless him. But it's like Ray Allen is not an actor, and you know, it's not like he ever tried to be. I think Spike Lee just was like, "I'm making a movie about the college basketball or high school basketball. I forget, yeah, high school basketball star. And like, you're an actual basketball player. I don't know how. I don't know the background, but you know, I guess he wanted a real basketball player. And I, I was like, oof. It didn't hurt the movie as much as I thought it would. I still really like the movie, but. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, like, man, I wonder how much better this would be if we had, like, just a really good actor playing the Ray Allen part. Like, and I feel bad picking on him. It's not like he, um, it's not like he went on to act after this. Or I think act before this, he just did this one movie. Um, so can, but, can I, can I, yeah, can I put a defense? <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I just, yeah, curious your thoughts on it. Yeah. Can I play defense to your rebound? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I actually really like Ray Allen in the movie. And and I, I get your critique. Like, I will say he's not a great actor, but I think I think what he's called to do is very interesting in context of the movie kind of demystifying what we think of as NBA vehicles. Cause I feel like his casting, it, it had to have been a response to Space Jam in that manner. Um <laughs> And, <laughs> and kind of what was going on in the '90s, where you had like Shaq and in in Kazam and and all these. Um, I mean, a- people who are not actors being actors—that's not a—that's not an original thing. But it was very prevalent with the uh, with kind of the 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 
I call it the renaissance of basketball that was going on throughout the 90s. And I think Spike casting Ray Allen as a teenage father who is forever pissed off at his own dad for what he did when he was young, I feel like the stoicism that Ray Allen is, is almost called to do, I, th- I think is the biggest advantage of his lack of acting. Because I think, I actually feel the opposite. I think if you had, a, 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 like, I guess a, an actor-actor in that role of Jesus, then it would come off as that person trying to outdo Denzel, whereas it, it's an icon of the time like Ray Allen. That to me is the only thing that could challenge the more artistic iconography of someone like a Denzel Washington. So that that is my, that's how I rationalize it in my brain, but yeah. <laughs> All right, I mean, that's a pretty good defense for it. I do feel like at times it kind of works because he has like an innocence to him, like, and kind of yeah. like a, um, I don't know. There's a little bit of a naturalness there. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I actually think he's kind of decent in the scenes with Rosario Dawson as his girlfriend. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like I, that stuff kind of feels real. Also, I'm reading IDV right now because I'm curious how this went down. Apparently, Spike Lee wanted Kobe Bryant, and Kobe Bryant. Uh, huh. I would have been fascinated to see that because I think I think Kobe Bryant could have done a pretty good job. I don't remember seeing much of him acting, but I feel like. I was gonna say I would have loved to have seen him had the chance to go to to go at bat, even though this is basketball we're talking about. Right, <laughs> and he, uh, but apparently Corey Bryant, like, uh, he, uh, typical Corey Bryant, he did not have time. He said he had to go practice during the summer, so he couldn't shoot the movie. <laughs> He's like, he apparently he had a he had a rough end of the season, and he was like, I got to go practice like twenty four hours a day. Apparently, which I've I've heard about Corey Bryant many times. Is he's like a he was like a fiend for like practicing. Um, and just mm-hmm. constantly like going in there to the gym and like at 5 a.m. or whatever and like shooting, you know, shooting around. So I could imagine being like, I got to go work on basketball. And then apparently he's got around was his second choice around said yes immediately. So um, <laughs> but that movie actually surprised me. And I I was worried it would end darker than it does. I was kind of glad. It, I won't say any more than that, obviously. But I I think I had the wrong idea in my head of what happens for years. Like maybe I thought something was spoiled for me, but it was not. So I was kind of happy when it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> so, um, but still a good movie. Um, and then, so yeah, well, we have inside. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say my, my point um, and why I love the film is like, uh, there's so many movies about black fathers where they focus on their flaws and, and just, and, and, and just in, in the black community, there's a whole thing of just there, there's a stereotype, but also, where it, there, there's a pattern of, of black fathers just being uh, being terrible role models for, for, for their sons. And I think that that movie, I like, it's one of the, to me, the, the most Spike Lee examples of how Spike treats his characters with such warmth. Um, because the movie doesn't absolve Denzel of his bullshit. If anything, he goes right back to jail at the end. But I like that Ray Allen's character goes through an arc of, him learning to be more appreciative of what his dad did do for him uh, through all of the trauma that he inflicted. And, it, and it's kind of a, a celebration of the dichotomousness of parenting versus just a uh, vilifying uh, another another father of color. So yeah, and, and I think putting you right into the, the, the all too common narrative of a teenage father, you know, having to face the kind of face like, okay, what, what am I going to do about my relationship 
once I go off to college, like, does she love me for my money? Is, is this or that? Like, I think the movie is playing with a lot of concepts that I think are some of the more interesting in Spike's Uber, as far as his straight dramas go, uh, post do the right thing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's again, it's Denzel playing a, I don't know, a very morally gray character, though, because he does some oh. very bad things. Obviously, I won't say what he does, but it's like some, some very terrible things. But then, is trying to redeem himself and i don't think they show him do some stuff where it's like he's really not like a uh bad person at heart he just made some terrible choices you know what i mean and uh uh like he's trying to help some other people out and yeah um it's a very i thought it was a really great role for denzel i think it's a very complex character like i think there's a lot going on with that character so and he plays it very well um if i had so, to remember correctly i think it's one of ryan coogler's favorite movies oh okay yeah, yeah i mean yeah. I, I think when he was doing promotions on Creed, um, the first Creed, um, uh, Kugler mentioned, because uh, I think Malcolm X is his favorite. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Malcolm X is one of, is, is like a top two movie for him or something like that. And I think he mentioned on a podcast I was listening to years ago that He Got Game was a big inspiration for him as well. So yeah. Yeah, no, it is really good. I mean, even if I had problems with like the Ray Allen performance and like, <laughs> some other stuff i still thought it was a good movie um uh we both had inside man number two we talked plenty about inside man so uh and i never wanted to have malcolm x because i don't know how you don't have that near the top or at the top you know it's like i'd watched that for the first time a couple months ago like i'd finally oh. it's, it's a long movie that that really had held me back honestly was just how long it is it's like three hours and 20 minutes or so. I don't know, it's over three hours long um, which is daunting when you're like, oh boy. And I don't, I'm not a, the biggest fan of historical like biopics, you know, but this was one of the best I think I've ever seen. It's like, it's, I think it's an incredible movie. Like it's a, it's an amazing achievement. Like I'm amazed that they pulled this off the scope of it. I was being as long as it is and covering as much as they did. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing looking movie. Like it's some of Ernest Dickerson's best work with Spike Lee. And I know Ernest Dickerson was already off doing his own stuff directing, but he literally came back to work with Spike um, because they like dreamed of making this movie together forever. So he couldn't like not do it. So um, yeah, they were in college thinking like, how come black America doesn't have a Lawrence of Arabia? Uh, and that and mm-hmm. that's and that's how Spike treats the subject. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I have. Oh goodness, Matt. This <laughs> 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 Malcolm X is, a, is like a. It, I wouldn't. I don't know if I put it in my top ten, but as far as like what I think Mount Rushmore movies are, I think Malcolm X is too often left off because not enough people watch it because of the runtime. It's the three hours and something they're like, oh no, I can't. Um, but w- moves very well, I will say, for three and three plus hours and oh, yeah. always engaging. And I realized watching it too, I was like, man, they just did a horrible job in school teaching us about Malcolm X because I knew, I, I thought I knew more than me. Most people, because I like history and stuff, but there's mm-hmm. still so much I did not know about him. And I'm like, we just they just ignore him. Because I know, I'm sure I know what it is, but like, I'm sure the schools are like a little scared of Malcolm X, t- like talking about him because he was a little, you know, obviously the, they always use the example, the of, like the, yeah, the rhetoric was more intense than like Martin Luther King Jr. Like they, they, they clearly were more intimidated by teaching about him, even though he's a very important figure in history um, and a fascinating, his life's crazy. The arc in his life is like, 
Oh yeah. I mean, where he starts and where he ends up and where he like goes, it's like his life is so fascinating. So I was, I, it was a fantastic movie. Um, I was just kind of blown away by how good that movie was. Like, it was just like, wow, you, you finish watching it. Like I just watched like one of the great movies. It's so good. <laughs> oh, I, I in complete agreement with you. Like, uh, like, like with the, the, any supposed inherent bias aside of, of how I came to the film as a young, as a young boy versus how I watched it as a young man. Like I rewatched it actually uh, early last year. Cause one of my favorite podcasts, they did like an expansive because the movie's so long, they did like a five episode uh, series on, on just oh, wow. this one movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and uh, I was inspired to watch the movie for the first time in, in a few years. And um yeah, I mean, it's 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 Spike Lee adapting one of the great books, the autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, which was co-written by Alex Haley, <clears throat> who who of course wrote Roots, uh, the basis for the the famed uh, TV miniseries. And I mean, the film is not only a truly definitive uh, account because it is based on an autobiography, so you're not you're not getting the Brian Singer sugar-coated version of it. You're getting the raw radical thoughts of Malcolm reflecting on his own life from the moment he's a street urchin to when it's flashing back to how his, his dad was killed by Klansmen, how his mother was put into an insane asylum. Like there's all these things that lead him to go to jail, um, you know, for, for that pivotal moment. And how he's kind of reborn as a student of Elijah Muhammad. And of course, how he he becomes the Malcolm X that we all know. And then later, you know, breaking that down and 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 how Malcolm finds kind of his final path before his assassination. And the movie is endlessly riveting. I think the unique life of Malcolm X posits a very, honestly, I think the definitive showcase for Denzel's talent. Um, it's ridiculous to me that the movie wasn't nominated for Best Picture or Best Director, but was nominated for Best Actor and then lost to Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, Wah! I was going to say, he lost to Pacino in Scent of a Woman, which I <laughs> I am stunned by. I, you know, love Al Pacino. I I got to imagine even Al Pacino was like, really? Me over Denzel? But Denzel <laughs> seemed like he got it. I saw a quote from Denzel where he was like, I know how the Academy works. It's like they felt like they passed over Pacino like I don't know how many times. They probably passed him over like eight or ten, eight or nine, ten times for uh, an Oscar. But that's not the time to give it to it. Like the skip. Like so then they <laughs> they always give people makeup Oscars. Like they always like drag their feet and like miss like the really they they miss all these opportunities to reward them. And they're like, oh shit, we should probably give uh, so-and-so an Oscar. Cause I mean, I love Denzel and Training Day, but that even kind of felt like his makeup Oscar for probably you know missing malcolm x you know what i mean it's like they... oh, that's definitely a makeup oscar i mean i mean <laughs> to me it, it's a makeup for for this and the hurricane because I, I don't know if you've ever seen the hurricane but i think he's amazing in that film I still haven't seen that one yeah but it, it's like they always it's just like that's one of the biggest oscar robberies of all time that he didn't win for malcolm x because i looked it up and i was like thinking to myself like wait he didn't win for that did he i was like who did he lose to and then i was like <laughs> what <laughs> it's like in sense of a woman who uh would listen like lose to godfather pacino but who uh pacino it's like um i i yeah i uh it was it was crazy it's i mean you know 
<laughs> it is what it is, you know, but it, it, people do recognize it as a great performance, but it's sad he didn't get the Oscar because, wow, he deserved it for that movie. So, um, well, and I'm glad to, um, uh, and I know we, we have a, we, we're still doing the Spike Lee ranking, but I'm happy that Spike got to make this movie when he was still young and hungry. Like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I think the only movie that was between this and Do the Right Thing was Mo Bear Blues. So he was still fresh and newly, def- he, he, he had just newly refined his voice at this time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, <clears throat> I think there's still, I think Spike hasn't lost his edge. I think Black Klansman is, and even Defy Bloods is, is, is it, it epitomizes that. But I think, I don't know if Spike Lee now would begin a film that is very much an Oscar bait type biopic with um, the Rodney King beatings uh, at the beginning of the movie. Cause like the, the, the movie begins with a, uh, an X being burned on an American flag interspliced with cl- with actual video footage of Rodney King being beat by cops, uh, which was a big thing at the time. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's in, in Malcolm X too. Like it also, um, it also birthed like a lot of like, not only was it the second Denzel Spike movie, but it was also the, the beginning of uh, Spike Lee working with Albert Hall um, and, and more importantly, Delroy Lindo. Um, uh, cause I think, uh, Lindo, he works with him in Clockers to five bloods. I'm trying to think, is there a, I'm trying to think, is there another movie that Lindo was in that Spike Lee directed? Uh, no, oh, oh, Crooklyn. That's Crooklyn, I was going to say, you, I don't know if you said Crooklyn or not. Yeah. I was going to say yeah, that yeah. was the other one. So that's as many movies as, as he is with Spike. And I think Lindo, um, got, <laughs> I think Lindo got snubbed. I know, I know that's a powerful thing to say now, but like. What Lindo does in The Five Bloods, man, it's like he is, it's like a true culmination of uh, everything he's done as like a stage actor, um, being part of the, 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 the American Conservatory, and then also he's, he's ripping on Bogart in Treasure of Sierra Madre in that in that amazing speech to the camera, like, ah, oh, I, I, I don't man. know, man. That <laughs> I, I was sure, I was like, when I saw that movie, I was like, he's a lock to to win the Oscar, right? Did he even get nominated for the Oscar? No, no. Oh my God, that's even <laughs> that's even worse. Um, and it was a year that like, there wasn't, it was 2020, so it was like a weird year. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's crazy. Oh, I Googled it. Yeah, first thing I see, Spike Lee reacts to uh, the Five Bloods uh, snub for <laughs> Delroy Lindo. It's like, yeah, I'm sure Spike Lee was pissed. I'd be like, and that's what I love about Spike Lee. Like, he'll like fight for like, his friends and his co like coworkers, like for his people. I listen. I know it got a lot of heat a few years ago when he uh, Black Klansman lost to Green Book at the Oscars, and he like walked out. I think. Um, oh, yeah. But goddamn, I mean, if you if you'd lost almost thirty years earlier to Driving Miss Daisy when you made Do the Right Thing, <laughs> and then you lose you lose again to a movie that's just a fucking inverse of Driving Miss Daisy, I would lose my mind. I'm like. This is insane that I lost again to like the same movie, but they flipped it. It's like because I told somebody the other day about it was like a I don't this is gonna be a tangent. I'm sorry, but like about how people think Hollywood is more liberal than it is, and I think the Oscars are a great showcase to remind you they aren't quite as liberal as they want you to think they are because there's still a lot of older people in Hollywood and people who run things in Hollywood 
there's a lot of like liberal artists who make things, but like a lot of the executives and a lot of people in power, I don't think think quite the way that everyone, you know, that you think everyone in Hollywood thinks. And like the fact that they would pick a movie like Driving Miss Daisy over Do the Right Thing shows like we're scared to be confronted with, you know, actual conversations about race. We want like these like nice things, you know, like, and I, listen, I don't want to shit on Driving Miss Daisy or Green Book too much. I'm sure they're nice little movies, but like, I think Hollywood sometimes likes their conversations Driving about Miss race. Daisy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it sucks. You said? Out there. Yeah, no, that, that okay, movie is okay. a bastard. Yeah, no, I've, All I've right, seen Well, it. <laughs> they want, I think they want their conversations about race to be a little more um, kind kind, and a little more like given to them sweetly. They don't want, they want some sugar with it. It's like, and it's like Spike Lee does not always <laughs> deliver that. Like he doesn't really deliver that very often. He gives it to you very like, uh, I, I'm trying to get a better word than aggressively, but it, uh, it's, he's just not, he's not sugarcoating. He's not sugarcoating a lot. Well, and... you look at the, if you look at the, besides Green Book, you look at like other classic movies that have, one best picture. I mean, and this is why uh, when when Moonlight won, deservedly so, uh, it's Oscar. Um, I, I mean, I just knew that uh, back in 2016 when that happened, or when it came out, like, I knew, I was like, okay, this is the, the projected winner for that big award, but, like, it's going to revert back to how it's always been. I mean, because back in the 60s, like, in the heat of the night, great film, <clears throat> excuse me, great film, uh, uh, amazing film, but um, after it won Best Picture, you know, um, that's when we get like several more years of, of normal Oscar fare, you know, winning Best Picture, with the exception of the Godfather movies and, and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, when it comes to these like black-led race films, um, I mean, goodness, I mean, I don't want to just rant on your podcast, Matt, but like, I mean, <laughs> That's what pisses me off about Driving Miss Daisy is like, I remember seeing that in high school and, and uh, because I think like my family, like uh, uh, they all got us together one time to, to, to have it on. And I was just mad the whole time, specifically because Morgan Freeman's character is kind of like, he's very much an Uncle Tom where he's just like, well, uh, uh, well, Miss Daisy, I gotta go pee. And uh, it's just like, like, why do you have to ask a grown ass woman to go piss? Just piss. <laughs> it's just, 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 sorry. There's not a lot of movies I, I just hate like that, but that movie just did a number on me. And, and to, and also in college, after seeing Do the Right Thing, um, and where I was already angry after I saw that movie because the movie wanted me to be angry and affected and affected me in in a in a very crucial manner T to figure out that that was beat by that fucking turd blossom it, i don't know man it it just i just i just i i uh i just i'd rather be stabbed in the eyes with like two daggers than watch that movie again i'm sorry i just i hate that movie so much oh my god no, this is great we, i really i don't think i've ever heard like angry preston like you are you do not get worked up like this about movies a lot so i mean this is i'm <sighs> I'm, this is a treat. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I was like, I didn't want to go that hard, but I appreciate you because I'm not even. I'm not even sure if I've seen all of Miss Daisy. Honestly, I feel Drive Miss Daisy. I feel like I uh, saw part of it on TV as a kid, and maybe another part later. Like I've seen it bits and pieces, and never really felt the need to sit down and kind of you know watch the whole thing. But um, you're not missing yeah. much. Clearly. <laughs>
Oh, well, tune in for our next film feast when Press and I talk about driving this tasty upskin. <laughs> <laughs> Hour and a half of ranting. Uh, no, no, I, I, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Like so, um, I get I, back. I get why Spike walked out after Black Clansman lost a green book. Like, um, because I, it, the the idea of the same thing happening to you so many years later. Like or a very similar yeah. thing happening to you, it's got to be you would drive me insane. I'd be like, this cannot be happening again. <laughs> like, especially um, when you've changed film multiple times. I think that that's added salt to the wound, not just due to the racial politics, but like it's, you know, it, it's something where you and I were talking off mic about the hypocrisy behind calling for originality and then shitting on it, uh, just forthright. And I think that's what Spike Lee is. Like, we call for movies to be honest, and trend-setting and groundbreaking and emotionally affecting especially with dramas like i feel like the, the expectation for dramas is higher you know to, mm-hmm. to to be lofty and ambitious and spike epitomizes that and that's why even in movies of his that i don't all the way love or movies of his that you don't all the way love we're able to come together tonight and talk about the things that do work about them and how his filmography the wins the losses they all amount to a whole you know mm-hmm. um, and for him to be disrespected like that twice, uh, especially two two times where I feel like those are two, uh, you know, you, you can't you can't have an effective greatest movie of all time list without do the right thing. And then I think Black Klansman will will survive the test of time as one of the best films of its of its era. Um, and, and much like, uh, honestly, much like Inside Man, be a, be a real encapsulation of what was going on in our culture socio politically while giving us John David Washington as an actor, in addition to having one of Adam Driver's best performances, an actor who relentlessly proves again to be a force to be reckoned with, I just, I, I feel like that's a slap in the face to Spike's gifts and a complete ignorance from the old money behind Hollywood <laughs> who still has a grip on it that, you know, like, well, We'll give Jordan Peele the the screenplay Oscar, but the actual Oscar, nah, man, fuck that. That you know that that to me is is especially year after Moonlight. Like that's, I mean, I don't want I don't want to just go all over the place, but like there's there's a just being an African American film fan, there is just so much that I feel like I internalize about the Oscars, and that's that's a big reason why I've I've kind of lost a bit of interest in Oscar culture, as it were. I still watch Oscar type movies each year but like definitely not in as much abundance as i used to and especially not after the 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 uh driving stacy redo uh <laughs> 2018 that yeah movie. Oh. <laughs> oh boy i yeah i mean the oscars are like a thing where it's like i i i used to be so into them i thought that was like my young like film getting to film i felt the oscars were like a good gateway like i'm into movies now i'm gonna watch the oscars um then you care less and less about them. I think as you get older, and <laughs> you kind of notice like there's a lot of <laughs> bullshit going on here. There's like with a makeup Oscar, we talk like that shouldn't be happening. Where it's like, oh, we're just giving this person an Oscar just because we didn't give them an Oscar five other times. We should, you know what I mean? It's like that's a dumb logic mm-hmm. to get into. Um, you know, I'm happy someone gets the Oscar, but it's like it's the whole thing is a mess. But then it's funny when somebody I think is kind of like underrated or someone i didn't think was going to win wins i'm like oh great like you know so so won the oscar <laughs> like i'll be super excited if kihai kwan wins best supporting actor for, for you know for everything ever all once because i feel like he's been through so much and like had kind of left the business as an actor 
for so long and like what a treat that would be yeah 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 and 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 again that's that's and and i think it's easier to root for people like that you know but like uh, in context of the the outer bullshit that predicates the oscars And, and i think too like because I mean, I'm in my, you know, late 20s and, and, you know, I don't think you're, I mean, you're not too much older than me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm only mid thirties. How about that much? <laughs> what if I was That's like, I'm 75 years old, Preston. I was thinking, I had anyone fooled. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing this Nickelodeon back in the old day. No, I'm kidding. No, um... <laughs> no, but I say that to say, I feel like in your, tw- I feel like in your twenties, that's when movie buffs like. Once you get into your late twenties, that's when movie buffs they've had their exploration phase of like their gateway directors. Then they start to like really e- experiment and really stretch the boundaries of their taste. And I think mm-hmm. during that time, you really start to realize, wow, these really inventive, really weird, kooky movies that didn't connect with even uh, the old money of uh, behind Hollywood, like this is what's getting to me and then you go back to the movies of your youth like uh like uh whether it be like something like the matrix or something like that where it's like oh yeah and now i can use what i've learned throughout my formative movie years to come back to the stuff that got me interested in movies in the first place and that creates a deeper love for those things that i used to love in the first place and i i think the oscars just happens to fall by the wayside because because quite frankly, like that stuff doesn't, it, it takes a special drama to really stick to the ribs, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, Daniel and I talked about this last month with, with Carol, like how that got brought up quite a bit, but I, I, I'm a big Carol fan and I love how that's become a Christmas watch for so many people annually, uh, especially in context for um, just, just obviously the, the social component of that film. But also it's just, it's nice that a lofty drama can be seen as entertaining to a lot of people. And, and that makes me really happy as a, as a drama fan. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that concludes my spiel on the, uh, <laughs> on the Oscar, <laughs> Oscar tangent. Um, and now I feel like we, we have to do our top five Spike Lee's and I kind of feel like we need to go probably quickly because I think we're running out of time. So uh, I'd hate to have to rush through these, but um, I, we talked about a few of, I know mine have talked about a few of them already. So um mm-hmm. but yeah i guess we'll just say our five say a little bit about each one and then five to wrap up so um do you want to start at your five work down to one and then i'll do my five yeah yeah my five was i mean because we're talking about a, uh we're talking about fucking spike lee so it, it was it was pretty hard <laughs> to narrow down to to five I'll, I'll say before i get into it just quickly uh my runner-up is he got game um that's a personal pick i love that movie that movie Again, I saw it just a few years ago and it really affected me emotionally. I was not expecting the movie to be that impactful on me. Love it. Um, that's my number six, technically. So my number five is going to be Black Klansman. Um, and I put it at five because, simply because I just revisit the other four more. Like uh, one of, uh, there's one that's like a little higher up that, if you would have asked me before yesterday when I rewatched this movie, I would have probably put it at number five because it's still so new to me. But um, yeah, Black Klansman, I think it's brilliant. Um, I, I, I think, I hate how John David Washington gets 
criticized for not being his dad because I think he gives a great movie star performance in Black Klansman. Um, I think it's one of Spike's most successfully messy efforts. Um, I love the black exploitation iconography in the film and how he and how he kind of uses that in context of this um, undercover cop mystery, this deep cover mission, if you will. <clears throat> and like I said, I love the performances in it. And I just think it's really, really good. Um, my number four is Inside Man. Um, I, I, I put it above Black Klansman just for rewatchability's sake. And then also, um, I just want more people just to check it out or at least give it another shot. Um, I think the Inside Man hive is definitely visible. Like when I meet people who really <laughs> mm -hmm. fuck with this movie, it's like, oh, bro, I love Inside Man. The movie's awesome. But um, um, like I said up top, like we talked about for a whole ass episode, uh, it's great. You should see it. <clears throat> um, if you don't like it, you should like it. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> my number three is Bamboozled. Um, like I said, last year, um, um, like my favorite discoveries last year, just running through them, uh, were movies like Holiday from 1938, The Uninvited from 1944. Um, like those are those are the movies that I'm returning to the most, even when like uh, like I like from that I first saw last year. Um, like mm -hmm. I'll just throw it on, I'll throw those movies on while I'm working. I'm just like, <laughs> this is great. But then Bamboozled is just such a a rush to the system. Um, and like when I first watched it, and with the way it ends, like you were saying earlier, with uh all the black stereotypes coming together at the end and just how funny it is while being sad. And, it, and, and it's, it's one of the only movies I saw last year that made me cry. Um, and after rewatching it yesterday, it's just one of my favorite movies. So Bamboozle number three. Now my top two, oh boy. <laughs> I think this I might was, know what they are and it's tough if I know it's the two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was hard for me and I'm trying to be succinct with my thoughts because I, I know I want get, to get to yours too, Matt. But um, my number two is Do the Right Thing. And yeah, I, I, it goes without saying, way better movie fans than I have have talked about it at length and have written essays on it. It's a classic. It's a masterpiece. It's it's the greatest film about race I think that has ever been and will ever be made. But that leads to my number one, which is Malcolm X. And the reason why, <clears throat> because like I said, this was hard where I was putting the ranking together. The reason why Malcolm X is my number one. And after thinking about it, like for the past few days, I do think it's Spike's best film. It is my favorite Spike Lee movie. Um, because we're never going to see a historical biopic of this scale and this quality ever again. For mm -hmm. someone who is one of history's greatest men, who you still feel ripple effects of throughout the social, political, and societal underpinnings of the whole world. Not just the United States, not just the civil rights movement, but it, but he went be, but Malcolm went beyond all that to affect how black people see each other and see ourselves. And that alone, in addition to the 
unrevocable, the irrevocable, excuse me, the irrevocable perfection of the craft, the performances, the music, the fact that it's three and a half hours and you don't feel a single damn second of it. To me, it's what, whenever I watch this movie, I'm like, this is what I, this is what film is capable of. And it's a movie that I feel like for what it is, it's never going to be topped. And it doesn't shy away from the flaws of Malcolm, whether it be from his early days, his imprisoned days, and his final days. And I think it truly epitomizes who Spike Lee is as a person, personality, a directorial voice, and as a vision. And I think when he leaves this earth, I think this top two, but especially Malcolm X, I think um, really speaks to him at the height of his powers when he was young and hungry and finally finalized the theses that he would carry on up until today. So my number one is Malcolm X. I can't argue with that. I mean, it's like, I, um, it's a fantastic movie. Um, I will go talk about, I'm, I'm, it's going to pop my top five, spoiler alert, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do my top five and say a little more. Um, you had number six. I'm going to say my number six, my number six and five were very hard to pick. I was like, what's going to be five. What's not going to make it. Um, so my number six would be black landsman. Because my number five is Inside Man. Because I'm like, well, I, I think they're both great, but I'm probably going to watch Inside Man more just for the fact that it's like a fun heist movie. And, you know, it's like Black Lane's pretty heavy. Like we talked about earlier, it's like that ending just, it's like such a it punch in the gut. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I don't know how I want to feel that, but it's still a movie I really, really enjoy. But um, so I'd say Inside Man's my five. Uh, Bamboozle, which I just watched, is my number four now because I just think it's like... nice. So good. And like again, uncomfortable, not easy to watch. Don't know how much I'll revisit it, but um a movie that I was so floored by because it's like I just couldn't believe that he got to make it. <laughs> like I was like, I can't believe this exists. Like, um, and then a major studio like put it out for him. Like I can't imagine how they marketed it. You know, it's like it's one of those movies that seems like a miracle, like especially nowadays. Like, I mean, it's crazy then. Yeah. I remember when it came out, it was pretty controversial. I remember like because I would have been like 13, 14. I do remember people buzzing about it. Like, oh, can you believe this movie Spike Lee made? Um, and it's like, yeah, it still has a lot of power. And uh, it's- That I was scene mention- where- oh, uh, ahead, <laughs> My bad. I was just going to say, that scene where Damon Wayans asked his dad, uh, played by the late, great Paul Mooney, by Oh the my way. God. I didn't know Paul Mooney was in it. Paul Mooney's amazing. <laughs> like, I I obviously, I found him from Chappelle's show and then all the stuff about oh, yeah. him. And then, and then he's so good. And like, he's so funny. Like- um he's like his delivery is amazing <laughs> like but yeah when he was he popped up i was like oh shit paul mooney's in this. so um yeah, yeah. that cast so, is insane but uh i was gonna say the scene where damon wayans uh tell he asked his dad like hey like why do you say the n-word so much and then he's like because it makes my teeth white i remember that scene just like sent ripples through my spine because it's so coded it, it speaks to so much of how this man is 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 using the bluntness of what was once a racial pejorative that has become a word that has been co-opted by our community it it, it it's spike really coming through in an already very very spike film throughout but it's also it's also very much about the pride that i think once again speaks to what spike encourages in, in his and what I feel are his two best films, but yeah. Um, 
yeah, I just wanted to call that scene out. I think that scene's amazing. Yeah, I, there's, I mean, it, that part's great. There's a lot of great parts in Bamboozled. Like, there's a lot of great scenes. Um, I was gonna say the very beginning. Do you want to call me Mantan? Like, yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's a... <laughs> with, with uh, Damon Wayans talking like right to camera, I think. And again, it's it's Spike not being subtle because he literally starts by defining the word satire. Like, it's like in case you don't get what's going on, and then but Damon Wayans talks right to camera and says something I could not believe was from 2000 because he's a TV executive or TV writer, and he says something like. Uh, yeah, it's getting harder and harder to keep eyeballs. I'm paraphrasing. It's getting harder to keep eyeballs on TV because we're fighting against like video games and um, what else do you say? Uh, oh, 900 cable channels. And this is 2000. I didn't think that was even a problem. And now it's like that escalated so quickly into streaming services and like people yeah, on smartphones. <laughs> yeah. Wait, well, sorry, was that? No, I was going to say, now we have the same problem. It's just like more ubiquitized. It, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's so funny that that almost seems quaint. That's all they were fighting against. And they, I was surprised they were even worried about it in that time because I did. I thought TV was still pretty go, going pretty strong at that time. But he was saying like, yeah, video games and there's all these other, all, there's so many channels to pick from. And I'm like, man, you have no idea how big the problem's <laughs> going to get. If you think like, because I'm like, it's like there's so many things to distract people now compared to 20 years ago. So that was just weirdly... Like prophetic right from the get-go there's a ton of other stuff that still uh is kind of ringing true sadly in a lot of ways like that um but yeah it's it it's just crazy that movie so um in a, in a great way that it even that he exists or it exists he got to make it so um number three is to five bloods which i think Ooh. is just an amazing right. achievement from him because like you know, I thought Black Clansman was very good, and this is, I think, the follow-up to that. But I, I didn't know if Spike Lee had a movie like this in him at this, like, uh, you know, because he tried to make a war movie that no one seems to like called Miracle at St. Anna. <laughs> like, so oh, yeah. he does another war movie, and I'm like, how's this going to go? And it was a Netflix thing, and he got a lot of money from them from. Good job, Spike. I was like, I appreciate it. And, like, and, he, and he used it well. And uh, Delroy Lindo, we talked about, he's amazing. I mean, the whole cast is pretty amazing. Jonathan Majors kills it in this movie, I think, in a yes. very yeah. like subtle, nuanced way, which he does really well. And it's, you know, it's Chadwick Boseman's last time at bat, or one of the last times uh, yeah. we got to see Chadwick Boseman. And uh, just great. his role in the movie is very ghostly. Mm -hmm. That and does think... make it weird. That yeah, It's like, that might have been his last part, or whatever. So it's like, it's weird to go back and watch it, and then you know he passed away shortly after, and he's kind of, he is like kind of playing this like, is he playing? I forgot. Is he playing one of their friends that actually died in Vietnam? Yeah, he's playing the okay. friend who didn't come back. Yeah. Who didn't come back? Yeah. So that's uh, makes it more just have a different weight to it. It's it's weird, but it's like I think it's very well done. Like I think it was Spike like really like showing how great a filmmaker he is. Because I feel like he kind of had a rough 2010s up until Black Klansman. Black Klansman, yeah. There's a lot of movies that just didn't hit. Yeah. The old oh, boy God. Movie. Old Boy was the one that I talked about earlier that I think is by far the worst Spike Lee movie I've seen. It doesn't even feel, <laughs> doesn't feel anything like a Spike Lee movie. Like Inside Man is not like your typical Spike Lee movie. I think it still can feel like a Spike Lee movie. I don't think Old Boy does it all. That's a real like true like for hire. No, job. It's, a, I don't... It's, it's a turkey for him. Like I've seen it too. And and I, I agree with you, Matt, like out of the ones I've seen, of course. Um, yeah, I don't I don't. That one I can't explain because <laughs> because I don't know if he was starving for money or like why he even took the job because like you look at I'm actually glad you're 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 talking about the Five Bloods 
Um, you're making me want want to rewatch it because I've been. I was thinking like, man, I need to squeeze a rewatch of that in pretty soon because I'm 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 not going to stop watching Spike movies. There's still more I want to work mm-hmm. through uh, yeah. <laughs> throughout this year because this episode has got me in that mood. But the, the Five Bloods proves that he can do action, you know, or at least war scenes. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in Old Boy, you look at how he tries to recreate what Chan Wook did in that original film, and it's like, ugh. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's like, ooh, yeah. So that's a misfire from him as old boy. Yeah, it's just not worth. But, um, but yeah, Defy Bloods is good, and I, I or great, really. I mean, it's great, and uh, the cast is so good, and yeah, I just, I'm happy Netflix gave him the money. That was when Netflix was like handing out, you know, tens of millions of dollars <laughs> to prestige like filmmakers, like 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 all these big directors who were working for years got a bunch of Netflix money. So good for him. Um, and he made a great movie with it. So it worked out. Um, uh, my number two and my number one are flipped from your one and two. So my number two is Malcolm X just because I, I do think technically like truly it is the best movie he ever made up to this mm-hmm. point. I don't think he's going to top it either, but it's like, I, I don't think he's ever technically like made a, t- a better movie from a technical standpoint. Like I just, everything comes together. Everything works. Um, like so well and uh you know again Ernest Dickerson who's like watching the early Spike Lee movies is like he is really like so key to, oh yeah to Spike Lee and his success because the movies look so good like like it's amazing like uh the criteria to do the right thing man it looks phenomenal um uh I uh I, I sorry to cut you off Matt um but like I rewatched that uh with my mom um a couple of years ago I think and like on her big screen TV and man, that Blu-ray just looks so good. But yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, that does, it's a great looking movie. And like, so yeah, I can't, Malcolm X is like an incredible achievement. I can't take anything away from it. I just don't know how often I'm ever going to watch a over plus three hour, uh, biopic, even though I thought it was great. I just, it's not thing I'm going to pull off the shelf and it's a, it's a heavy watch too. You know, it's a lot, it's a lot to, to take in and I mean, do the right thing is number one. It's also mm-hmm. a very heavy watch, but it just, it, it, I just to, that to me is like it. It's a little more even. I mean, I'm sure Malcolm X is personal to him, but like do the right thing just is what I think of as the quintessential Spike Lee movie, and it's like really mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies of all time because I just think it's so good, uh, it's so well done. It just really stays with you. Um, I just I don't know that to me is like that's just his quintessential movie, and I love the way it looks. I love the, the performances. I uh you know it just was blown away to first I, I didn't see it till like a few years ago maybe like five or six years ago and mm-hmm. uh was blown away by it like the first time i saw it completely blown away like and a movie i'd heard nothing but good things about but to finally right. see it for yourself you're like holy shit this movie really and sadly <laughs> and really sadly never stops being relevant like something yeah. that just happened after i watched it uh or just something in the news you know like another uh black person had been killed by the police and uh i think my sister was actually living with me at the time um and just kind of got sucked into the movie too and we were so like drawn into it and i think because i i say i feel bad because it happens it's it's like happened so often in the news that it's like i don't remember who or the, what the story was but we were like holy shit this is just just keeps happening like he makes yeah. this movie in 1989 and like this never stops being relevant so um yeah, it just it just hits, and it's a it's a, but still like, like for the way it's made, it's like kind of like he's fun, playful. The way he's making it, I feel like it's it's got this energy to it. 
obviously there's often the, the dance sequence like there's just an energy to it that's like very hard to it's it's replicate. the breeziest of his best films which is yeah. crazy to say because it was only his third <laughs> movie but it's so confident like you were saying oh, and, yeah, and yeah. i think <laughs> you brought up so many good points i mean i can't that's the thing about this top two like i can't argue with someone who has this as their number one because it is like it is one of the best movies like just period you know and um I think for me, because, and uh, I, I know our, our, our friend Carmelita shares this, like, uh, like I, I, I just really love long movies. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, 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 cause I'll hear y'all talk about like, man, that movie was so long and I'm just like, man, but it, but, but the, 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 the ride it took me on. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a crazy person. I, I love, I love my epics. So, but, um, but yeah, no, but, but I mean, do the right thing though like it, it it's sadly it's a parable that is constantly proven by time to be true and mm-hmm. it, it it's the i think it's the very i think it's the absolute greatest thing to come out of the transition from um from where hip-hop began to 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 the golden age because it's 1989 and it's right before the 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 true renaissance of rap happened and so the way public enemy is used throughout the film gives it a musical backbone that is so of its own time but the themes and the truth of it um as i said before like it, it no other film has so captured a community um which is weird because a movie that was kind of on my short list to put in my top five a movie I need to rewatch is Crooklyn, because uh, Crooklyn I adore. I think Crooklyn is is one of Lee's most underrated movies. Um, I think it's one of the best films of 1994. Uh, but that I still movie seen is... that one. I want to like it's so it's one of those random movies that my girlfriend brought to me. I can't or like it's like she oh, it's wow. like she's not the movie buff uh, that that we all are, but she'll randomly throw movies at to me like. She's like, oh, have you seen Crooklyn? I was like, no. She's like, I love Crooklyn. I was like, what? She pulls these random, like, kind of deep cuts out of nowhere to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, I need to see that. You got me beat on that one. You know, it's like, you've seen that and I haven't. So, (laughs) yeah. She also told me to watch uh, Cinema Paradiso, which I still haven't seen. Ooh, dude, that movie is, that's a movie, dude, Matt, I'm telling you, man, (laughs) that movie is going to bring you to tears. I feel like I'm going to love it. Yeah. It's... If you love movies, dude, that movie is it, it's gonna take you on a journey. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> to watch that. That's okay. I feel like I'm gonna love it. I feel like it's one of those things like I'm almost putting off just because I, well, it's a little long too, actually. Uh, but I know I just know I'm gonna see it and probably love it. I don't know why I'm putting it off, but I'm just like it doesn't. I'm gonna, yeah, it doesn't feel as long as as it looks. I promise you. Like, and I know that's me saying that, so I have a conflict of interest. But... <laughs> you just said you like long movies, so it's like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think also because I know it's going to be three hours of subtitles, which I, I have, I feel like, attention uh, problems. So I feel like that makes, that's another barrier to entry. I have no problem with, like, reading subtitles, but when it's, like, three hours of, like, oh, boy, I got to focus. I got to, you know. Um, but uh, I'll I'll give it a shot someday when I'm feeling like I got, uh, I'm very alert. I'm very awake. I'm going to watch Cinema Paradiso because. Um, definitely uh, not on a day like this because th- what you were telling me off mic i was like yeah i definitely don't watch it today <laughs> yeah i had a weird had a weird day but yeah so uh couldn't focus couldn't focus at all but um but one day i will watch it uh but I, yeah i gotta watch Brooklyn. i i own the blu-ray because it's a kino movie and kino movies are very cheap uh the blu-rays go on sale for like ten dollars or less so mm-hmm. i bought all the spike lee kino movies they put out 
Clockers, Crooklyn, Mo Better Blues, Summer Trimble. of Sam. Yeah, and Summer, Summer of Sam, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I still haven't seen either, but I was scared of Summer of Sam for some reason, like when it was coming out. <laughs> like the previews or commercials or something made it look like it was really scary. And uh, I don't know. I still haven't seen it. I, I feel like I'm weird and be like, I want to watch that in the summertime when it's hot. I remember it being like a really sweaty movie. You know, it was like it was um, it was like it's really capturing the heat of that summer. You know, um, so there's still a lot of Spike Lee was in his sea is the funny thing. Like he's made so many movies. It's like it's just crazy. Um, yeah, but... no, I mean, I think I think you and I, we've talked about we kind of ran through like the ones in addition to Inside Man, obviously, we've, we've ran through the ones that really affected us that people may not talk about as much, like a, how I'm a big Crooklyn fan and a big fan of He Got Game. Um, you're a big Defy Bloods fan, which isn't, it probably doesn't, isn't seen as deeper cut, but I think, um, I think the whole recency thing might put some people off putting it so high in their ranking, but it's, it's another brilliant film. And um um, in fact, um, um, I don't watch a lot of concert movies, but I was uh, I was talking to our buddy Lindsay Wilkins because uh, I told her I was like, yeah, because I think she said she's going to watch more Spike Lee this year. I don't want to air her business out, but she did. Tweet. <laughs> she, she, she literally tweeted it. So in public. So it's out there for people to see. Um, but um, but, uh, you know, I told her um, she, she was telling me that uh, he directed the David Byrne um i think american utopia as it were oh i had heard about this yeah yeah and like she said she didn't even know it was a spike lee movie until she pressed play and and i was like that makes sense because the talking heads are a are, are pretty messy band i love the talking heads but i feel like spike lee his messiness would have to fit their mess like mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> like but so i i'm interested to check that out and um uh there's there's a few of his documentaries i've been putting off like um uh, the four little girls documentary I hear is staggeringly amazing. Yeah, and that one I just feel like I put off because it seems like it'd be so hard to watch and so sad yeah. that it's yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's the only reason I'm I'm pretty sure it's on HBO because it's an HBO documentary. Mm-hmm. So his work is available in some cases, although I might have to track down that Jungle Fever Blu-ray because I've never seen that one, and uh, I feel like that one would really would really hit me. Um, um, so yeah, I, I need, I need to just break down and get that, get that Kino. Cause I, I did a blind buy recently that ended up being, uh, pretty awesome from Kino. So, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And that's a, oh, that's when they put it out. Yeah. Jungle fever, which I, I was going to ask you just about if you'd seen it and the ending, it may be the craziest spikely ending of any of his movies. It's, it's, uh, oh, wow. that one really blew me away when I saw that movie. I was like, I don't know how to had to even process all this <laughs> what's happened in this movie but um i'll be very curious to your thoughts on that one it's uh there's a lot going on in that movie like way more than uh i think you'd expect there's it's yeah it's a it's kind of crazy it's, i think it's another messy spike lee movie and i'm not sure how well that one works you may feel differently i don't know but um it's kind <laughs> of it's kind of crazy like it's you just don't expect all the things that happen in that movie <laughs> so um yeah yeah it's uh it's interesting for sure so um i'll be curious when you see more of his movies in the future that you haven't seen so to hear about them so no there, there's there's several i have lined up uh to to rent uh from my local uh my local library so yeah man i'm i'm super excited to dig into that and uh matt man i mean dude thank you for talking spike lee with me um this this was a long time coming this whole episode like i i 
I felt the closer we got to tonight, like I was like, okay, th- like this is gonna have to end up being an kind of an encompassing of the man's whole career. Cause I mean, that's kind of what we did last time with Jackie Brown was we ended up talking about how we feel about, how we feel about the full Quentin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh and uh yeah here we're talking about the, the the full monty again so um and yeah i mean um just a phenomenal director um i'm super happy you're you're you know you you share my enthusiasm as well and um really i mean i i really enjoy all the movies in your ranking and i mean it's hard to to not because it's again spike lee but um yeah i hope we inspire uh, other listeners to be like yeah like uh like check out more of his films again you know check out inside man uh check out bamboozled if if you follow me on twitter um please (laughs) please please watch bamboozled i I love i love talking to people about that movie uh for more reasons than one Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and uh i mean just everything with most deaf in that movie jesus um (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 it's 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 a trip but um yeah matt um thank you again man oh well yeah thank you for doing this i don't want to talk about yeah i've been wanting to talk about spike lee or one of his movies or any of his movies for a long time so glad we finally got to do it and um i knew this would turn into a big like spike lee discussion (laughs) and obviously i've not edited this podcast but i i feel like we may this podcast may be as long as malcolm x i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe longer. I don't know. Uh, we well, will Clint see. Rock, it landed on us, Matt. You know. No, <laughs> but it was. No, it was a great time. I just. I knew this was gonna. I knew this was gonna go. Probably we're gonna just talk about all kinds of things and Spike Lee's whole career because it's. Uh, fat. He has a lot of great movies to talk about. So, um, yes. Well, thank you again for doing this. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So, um, did you want to like plug people could follow you? Anything coming up? Any podcast appearances you have coming? Ooh, uh, that's a, okay. Um, so, uh, okay. <laughs> this one, this, this one's, a, this will come out either. I, I it's uh, maybe tomorrow or maybe next week, but not, not later than next week. So that it helps you give you a time of when it's coming out. So. Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, I think, um, I think I can just go ahead and tell people. Um, so I'm going to be going on schlock and awe. Um, I think that episode should be coming out, um, sometime in the spring. So I'm recording it uh, in a few weeks with our, our, our friend, Lindsay. <clears throat> it's going to be a double feature of um, the proposition and uh, Octopussy. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, wow. What, <laughs> uh, what a double. What is like, did not expect that. Um, proposition is, it's the Western, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. The, uh, okay. It's Australian. So uh, I figured it would be, it would be good to, to talk about that with Lindsay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. So, um, cool. Good stuff. Um, did you say where people could, your like Twitter and all that? I don't know if you said oh, it. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, you can find me at P R E S T O M I T, um, at, uh, at, at, on, on Twitter, or you can find me at uh, letterbox at P R E S T O underscore M I T C H. Um, yeah, find me. I'm always plugging away uh, exhaustive Malcolm X long reviews of stuff I've seen, <laughs> um, and uh, just chomping away at the bit about uh, movies I'm watching and, and rewatching. So yeah, yes. And if people aren't following you by now, who listen to this show, I don't. I don't know what they're doing. So it's like one of the one of the <laughs> nicest men on Twitter. Just and being a great movie fan too. So um, 
like you and Andy should have to what well, I make mean, I was you guys should fight for title of nicest man on Twitter, but that would be I think that would negate the nice man. <laughs> he's a really sweet man truly you're and, both uh, yeah you're both paradise i mean i, I said that joke I was like that doesn't make any sense and it's like hey, why would they fight they're both so nice um but oh well <laughs> we've been recording a long time i'm saying nonsense now so anyway <laughs> uh um yes for uh thank you again for doing this press this was a great episode i think i'm so excited to uh for people to hear it and hopefully we inspire some inside man rewatches or just spike lee watches in general um because he's really like really one of our most like unique exciting directors that, that we have around like he's just he's just fantastic <laughs> so um but yes uh everyone can follow uh the podcast on twitter at film Feast pod you can follow me on twitter at maplet 87 uh, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. And we will be back next time with something. I'm not quite sure yet. So <laughs> I'll let you guys know. Um, talk to you later, everybody. Bye.